book of Nehemiah, we just read a few verses. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2 from verse 17. I will read to verse 20 if you're there. The Bible says, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that are in that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are bored with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, also as also the king's words that had that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands, their hands for this good work. But when Sambalat and the Horonites and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonites, Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them, and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore will his servants will rise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for our morning service. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege you've given us to be here in the morning and also come back uh, this evening. We just pray that you will bless our hearts with your word, that you would help us to receive something, something that will be productive in our life, fruitful, that we can apply in our lives to give you the glory, also to better our own life, to improve our, our life, our spiritual life, our physical life, every area of our lives, that what we hear today would build us up, strengthen us, and encourage us. We know we don't have much time uh, for this year, but Lord, we know that even this short time, even these few hours, these few days, we can still do more. Above all, we know that you have plans and great uh, purpose for us in the coming year. Lord, help us to do right, help us to stay focused, help us, Lord, to be diligent, help us use us as instrument to do better, to improve, to glorify you more as we live each day at a time. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for bringing us to be here. Bless your message, bless your word. Use me as an instrument, as an oracle in your hand. Let your name be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Well, I have been studying the book of Nehemiah. In fact, before I came down from Ogoja, I was, I was told to study Nehemiah, Ezra, several books that would help me in my service here. And every book is particular and unique in itself. Uh, some books are more, you know, useful as a leader. Some books are more useful as a follower. Some books are more useful and uh, would help you as a mother, as a parent, as a husband. Some books are more for the young people, uh, like the book of Ecclesiastics, the book of Proverbs. Uh, however, the Bible is the word of God. is profitable to direct for all. It's profitable to make us wise. It's profitable for doctrine, for instruction, for correction. Uh, and this book of Nehemiah is interesting because uh, the way Nehemiah is, the story is all about revival, repairing, 
rebuilding, restoring, restructuring, uh, getting things back to its normal place. And uh, whether it was Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, whether it was uh, Esther or Haggai or Zechariah or Malachi, they all fit in the same timeline. It was the after Israel had returned from captivity, just between their returning, the first remnant returned during Zerubbabel. In the first chapter of Ezra, chapter 1 to 6, we see Zerubbabel as the man whom God used to bring back and brought, bring revival in the temple. And then God also used Ezra to establish the law to make sure that they know the writing, that they will not go about uh, serving God out of ignorance, there was established truth on how the Levites should live, how the service of God should be done. And also, Nehemiah comes just after Ezra, just about 50 years after Ezra. And Nehemiah continues in the same, uh, the same uh, platform. He was coming back from Shushine or Babylon, the palace of the king. There were several kings involved in all this returning and revival, Cyrus, uh, Atticesis, they were all instrumental in making this possible. In fact, God used Gentile kings to make this happen. He was put in the heart of Cyrus to rebuild the house of God that was looted and in ruin. And uh, Zerubbabel went, Ezra went, Nehemiah came to build the walls of Jerusalem. And uh, we see also Esther, the same thing, in the same time period, Zechariah also, uh, Malachi is also the same thing. And so the book of Nehemiah is interesting because if you want to practically see God's work uh, when it's done in terms of physical work, uh, the book of Nehemiah is interesting. It has a lot to tell us. Uh, Ezra is more ritual and legal in his, uh, in his uh, ministry his fulfillment, his purpose, uh, it was more to restoration and revival. Nehemiah was more civic, uh, civil and spiritual in his reformation. It was more about the city than it was for the house of God. And uh, according to the prophecy of God, the book of uh, Isaiah, book of Jeremiah 25, that they will return after 70 years. They did return. And in fact, most of them did not want to return, but they had several returning, about two uh, different returning from Babylon. And uh, Ezra and Isaiah may have a relative, uh, kind of maybe forefathers, because Elkiah was their father. Elkiah was the father of Isaiah. Elkiah was the grandfather of Ezra. They seem to share the same uh, lineage. And of course, Elkiah was a scribe, a prophet, a priest in the house of God. And that's no strange, uh, it's not strange that Ezra was in that same way. He spent time studying the word of God. He established the word of God after he returned from the directive of Cyrus to make sure that they established the rule and the worship of God in the temple. Uh, because Ezra was more a family that was serving in the temple that had many scribes and recorders. They had people who record events in the Bible. And uh, Hilkiah, 
Hilkiah was one of them. And now the wars was finished in 52 days uh, after Nehemiah left Sushine. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 1, it gives us the beginning of Nehemiah and everything that happened. Nehemiah left, uh, realized what was happening in the month of December. That's uh, Chislu. Uh, in the 20th year, as I was in Sushine, the palace, then also in the month of April, that's Nisan in chapter 2, verse 1. The word Nisan is the Babylonian calendar for April. Uh, Nehemiah went to the king after fasting and praying. Just about six months apart, he was burdened, he was praying. The thing was grieving him. The state of Jerusalem uh, and hearing how the, the city was with no gate or walls. Uh, Nehemiah was convicted. Nehemiah was burdened for Israel to do something. And uh, just by December, I heard it. And then by April, he went to do his service to the king uh, at Tarsus. And there he did not smile. He was, the king noticed that Nehemiah, is not, his countenance was sad. And the king asked him, why are you having this face? Which was a, a crime, but a crime that could take his life. However, he got favored him. Uh, the king requested that they will give him anything he needs to make sure his desire and plan is fulfilled. And Nehemiah uh, left excited, uh, happy, going down to Jerusalem. With, in fact, he was given army, soldiers, police, to go down to Jerusalem and to do whatever he wants to do. He was given rights to the reserves, the treasury, where there was wood, timbers, any kind of work. Uh, materials that he would need in re rebuilding or repairing the wall of Jerusalem. In getting to Jerusalem, in chapter 2, verse 17, he then tells them, his burden tells them the fact that the king Atasis is happy about the idea. It's not like he's an act of insurrection or an act of uh, uh, rebellion against the rule and, and palace of of Tarsus, uh, it was more the king still saying, "Go and build." And there, uh, while he was telling his people, there was others. In fact, during the captivity, there were several several people that did not go to the captivity, exile into Babylon. Uh, they were mixed blood people who were either relatives of the Canaanites or Egyptians or the Amorites, or like the Bible mentions here, of a man uh, called. There were three of them, Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem, who was an Arabian. And they were also there in that meeting. And in chapter 2, verse 19, the Bible says, But when Sambalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? For some of us, you may have a desire. For some of us, we may not be builders of walls for God. We may be builders of the little things that God gives us to do. We may be builders of our homes as a mother, as a faithful mother, a godly mother, a husband. It may be a youth ministry. It may be like we have the deaf ministry. It may be any kind of thing that is, you know, um, Good, because the Bible says, whatsoever things are of good report, whatsoever things are excellent, honest, 
Think upon these things. These two, whatever the two sins may fall into uh, that you find yourself doing uh, is a kind of a, a plan or purpose God has put into your heart to do. And so uh, you may be just like Nehemiah also in that aspect as a Nehemiah uh, about to carry out your desire, your plan. But you see, in carrying out your desire and plan, uh, you may succeed, but not always. And not to the to the uh, to the amount of success you would have envisioned. Uh, and so I just want to encourage you uh, this evening and also encourage myself because in the work of God uh, is interesting some things we find out in this book of Nehemiah, Ezra, of course, the three persons that God used in the returning and revival of Israel, uh, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, you can notice there were several series of Opposition, several series of things that did not go as planned. It was not the Egyptians nor the Gentiles. It was actually, uh, shockingly, God's people. God's people. It's interesting that it's God's people that hinders God's work. That's interesting. It's interesting that it's God's people that love the work of God to scorn. It's interesting. It's, it's even, uh, let me use the word, satanic to think that uh, a brethren, a sister, a servant, a co-laborer will think the work of God and laugh it to scorn. Like Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. They were not strange people. They were Israelites. Halfly, Israelites. We can say, well, they were Amorites, they were Arabians, Horonites, all the night, night, Canaanites. But there were some things that happened to Nehemiah that also happened to Zerubbabel, that also they had some things in common. Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah had some things in common in everything they did, in the, restor in the restoration, in the revival, in the renewing, in the reawakening in the repentance in the rebuilding there were some things that they had in common which we are going to see this evening and the title of the message is strengthened hands strengthened hands strengthened hands there's one interesting thing about the story of Nehemiah every time Sambalat Tobiah and Geshem is given or we see their names they are weakening the hands of God's people. They were not strengthening the hands of God's people. Every now and then, if you just, just look for Sambalat in the, in the Bible, if you see his name, he's either doing something that kills, that reduces, that hinders the work of God, rather than propagate or even elevate the work of God. And so uh, this evening, I want you to look at every aspect of your life. I'm not saying as ministry, whether as a father, as a mother, uh, as, a, as a child, as a businessman, as a teacher, as a civil servant, as a lawyer, as a doctor, as a nurse, as a student, as a soul winner, as a teacher upstairs in junior church, as a usher, as a deaf teacher, whatever area of service you find yourself. That is good. You always have this same kind of people. And so... Uh, we know that the 
the wars were, were finished in just 52 days. It was finished in September 25th. That's interesting. That's the same day that uh, uh, IBC Okoja was started, September 25th, 2016. And uh, we had 25 persons. So it's in my memory. Uh, it sticks there. So when I see 25 September, it pushed me to Ogoja because what we had the first day was 25. And then, although we had service before the main service, uh, grand opening or uh, main day, we had 25. Then the next day, we had 35, the next service. So uh, it was finished. In, of course, we know that in December, the year before, uh, the, 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 uh, the Maya had the story of the walls of Jerusalem in ruin, scattered, and he was prodding, he cried, he fasted, he prayed, and then in April, Nisan, he then went to the king. And from there, God gave him the audience favor, he was able to request, and the king allowed him to go and favored him, even provide every material he needed. And just from that April, if you were to count 52 days, uh, you can get the math. The walls were finished. But I believe the war would have finished in three days. Don't you think so? In the way Nehemiah went to serve, went to walk, you will agree that the zeal, the, 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 the resources that he needed was already on ground. Asaf, the man who was in charge of the king's uh, reserves and store, was, was given a note sealed by King Artaxerxes saying anything he wants, give it to him. He was given escort, police. You know, you just imagine riding on the escort of the president. Wow, 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 pilot, why? You're just entering Jerusalem. You just know that the work will be completed in no time, but it did not happen. It took 52 days to complete. That's the reason being that while he was working, others, there were many who were there to strengthen him, the support of others. There were others, there were other few who were there to weaken the work. So as a way of a rhetorical, a rhetorical question, are you weakening the work of God or strengthening the work of God? Are you laughing the work of God to scorn? Do you enjoy seeing the work of God fail? You derive pleasure. You just like when people go and do things and they fail, especially within the work of God, the church. You just sit down and when people fail, you just, you are happy. Do you love it? Does it, you derive pleasure in what, like Pastor Preach, uh, that's, this is my second time I'm hearing uh, a preacher, a pa pastor, using a negative quality of Satan to, to, to challenge us. Uh, last Sunday evening, that same message, I've heard a message like that by Pastor Thompson, how to work for the devil. Some of us, that's the ministry we are very perfect of. That's what we like to do. We are very good co-laborers with the devil. If the devil would write a, a testimony to God, he would put your name like Paul used to do. Gaius, my well-beloved. Titus, Tychicus. He would put your name. For instance, Roya, my well friend, he used to, he is very good in stopping God's work. The episode of the work of the devil. Uh, if God would, uh, if Satan would call his colleagues, would you be among? You know, Satan has colleagues too. You know, there is one thing about the work of the devil. He doesn't actually employ people. They just work free. <laughs> but the work of God, you actually employ people. 
and you see that no people will come, less people come. But devils walk. They don't even employ people to, to gossip. They just begin to gossip. If they make you spokesman, you begin to lie as people they lie today. As Minister of uh, Information, you begin to lie. I mean, it, it didn't start with just having a position. It started with him lying from the beginning. Before they gave him that position, now lying, they lie. That's why they just changed the name. Maybe the father foresee that, uh, uh, now you know who they talk to, but <laughs> you're not in my mind. I'm talking about someone else. <laughs> uh, to where it is now your name, to where they call you lie. I don't mean L-A-I, I mean lie. If you want to mean the other one, it's your own headache. But you see, sometimes we think we are doing the right thing, but we are actually doing the wrong thing the other way around. For Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshen, well, it is true, it looks like it is, an ins it is insurrection. These people are standing up. They want to build the wall. Are they going to build war? Are they going to set up an army? Are they going to fight against Antarctic? And what are they planning to do? You know, in their mind, they are seeing the other way. While even the Gentile king is happy for that work, when even God's people are not happy. It's interesting that Cyrus put his seal for that work and said, go and walk. Why God's people? He's saying, do you know how many petitions that Atazis is received in the space of 52 days. A lot of petition about the work that was going. In fact, at a point they stopped because they were up to stop the work of God to weaken the progress and the building of God's work. And so this evening, I want to mention some few things that are very vital, very uh, common in the uh, weakening of God's work. And in the uh, in the uh, in the failure of God's work, sometimes we see some few things we don't look at it carefully, but they are there. Number one, one of the greatest hindrance to God's work or to whatever you are doing, whether as a father, as a businessman, uh, as a little, as a student, uh, as a as a civil servant, as a lawyer. It's not the problem that are outside, it is the inside oppositions. The inside oppositions. You see, the, the problem with families today is not that their neighbors are their problem per se. It is the brothers in the home that opposes the things or progress of the family. Where a brother will stand up and say, let me do this. Another brother is just bent at stopping it. It's not just the church, it's just natural. In every aspect of life, we see it. The inside opposition, look at Nehemiah chapter 2, of course, verse number 19. We see, but when Sambala, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshon, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despise us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Think about this. It is not entirely unbelievers that slow down God's work. I don't think so. I don't think when God, when Jesus said, the gate of hell cannot prevail, I believe it's true. It is certain. Whether you pray or not, the devil cannot overcome God's will. But there is something that can overcome God's will. It's not the devil. It's you and me. I can kill God's work. The insiders. Not the outsiders. Like I used to say as a way of a common 
uh, story. Now, rat with their side, they carry the rat. Now, rat with their side, they carry rat with their side. Don't show the hole. The rat inside, outside doesn't like to come in because it's not, you know, used to the environment. It doesn't know if he enters, if there's another exit or monster point. <laughs> he will not want to. But until he sees somebody that will bring the person in, and then he enters, he begins to watch. And that's when he begins to come in and if I overthrow the rat that is inside, he will send that one outside. You see, it's the insiders that kills God's work. It's not the outsiders. Zerubbabel came to Jerusalem, started building the temple, building it, finishing it. And then he started a worship. He started praising God. The sacrifice for me. Let's go to Ezra. Let's go back and trace Ezra chapter 3 verse Look at verse 8. Now in the second year of their coming in unto the house of God at, Jeru at Jerusalem, the second month, began Zerubbabel, the son of Shelai, Sheitel, and Jeshia, the son of Zozadak, and the remnant of their brethren, the priest and the Levite, and all they that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem, and appointed the Levite from 20 years, above, up, 20 years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren, Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together to set forward the workmen in the house of God, the sons of Henadad, with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites with the sons of Asaph with symbols and to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, the king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy endured forever toward Israel. And all the people shout with great shouts. And when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid, but many of the priests and the Levites and chiefs, chief of the fathers who were ancient men, that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not descend the noise of shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people did you know since the, the conflict here someone comes into Jerusalem Zerubbabel he was born in, the, in Babylon God uses him he begins to set up the house builds the temple itself started to set it in order. After building, he set up the Levite, and of course, as David, David instituted music. And he said, well, let's sing and praise the Lord. The priests took their instrument, they began to sing. The elders who were on the side noticed the building and said, the building looked like the one who we know. There's something about this building. Why they were praising God that at least at this time we have a building. The elders, the ancient, the chief people, the Levites, some of the Levites are saying, Oh God, this beauty, no fun. You know, in the work of God, it's not, it's not outsiders that ruin the work of God. It's you and I. It's you and I. We can say, well, it's true, the, the, the building right now doesn't look like that glorious building of Solomon or David. But however, there was no building. There was no building. In fact, they had looted, looted everything in the house of God. Should it be a time of mourning or a time of joy? Should it be a time of mourning or a time of joy? 
For someone to come and have that initiative, for someone to come and start putting up the bricks, for someone to be uh, led by uh, Cyrus to go and set up the, the house and begin to build. At least uh, if, if he builds, there they they could be improvement and renovation and revamping of the house. Uh, but right now, we just have to do what we can. And this is what we have. And the Asians, the elders, the chiefs, the chief priests, they sat there and said, ah, this house, child, it's not fine. Do you know how people discourage God's work? Do you know? They go, suffer, finish. Suffer, finish. Do what you can do. Someone will come and look at it and say, eh? But why no, why no publi now? It is no fine. To say publi for fine. It's a very simple statement, but it's the most dangerous, it's worse than the venom. It eats deep down. When I see someone sweeping, I come. I say, ah, you know, Sabi sweep. When Bravo sweep, they are in the sweep. Let's see. You know, Bravo is sweeping. Now, Holy Ghost sweeping. <laughs> you cannot beat it. But when we see someone sweeping, it may not look like Brother Uzi's way of sweeping. Should we go and weep and cry? Ah, Brauzi, he's sweeping. To say they are for sweeper. Well, this boy is so sweeping anyhow. What kind of sweeping is this? We should be glad that someone even knows how to hold broom and sweep. Brauzi did not start sweeping one day. He started sweeping gradually and getting used to it and loving the work. Maybe they will need to love the work, the work as they do it. We don't have to come and begin to look at how beautiful things may be. But let's look at the long run. If this person continues, he will go far. That is encouraging than saying, ah, this house that you people have built, ah, this house, uh, when David, when we were young, did you see the house that Solomon built? This one that Zerubbabel is just, is just like, building stupid, just, you don't even put the block where. Is it about where the block is or is that? Or that there is a place where they can worship God. Even under the tree, they can worship God. The presence of God is, it was it not a tent that God was under? You see, one of the things that weakens God's work is an inside opposition. Cyrus was used by God. Atazesis was used by God. Who was using Sambalat? You know the answer. Who was using Tobiah? Who was using Geshe? Who was more closer to God? Who was more religious than the... the who, it was Sambala not more religious than <laughs> Cyrus, the Gentile king? Was Tobiah not more religious than Atazesis? But who was God using? Who had spent more time in the temple? Who had spent more time in the rituals, in the uh, religiosity, the deeds of the, the Israelites as, as God's people, in all the sacrament and sabbatic uh, worship and, sac and sacrifice? Who did the more? Who were the ones doing it? Is it not the Sambalad and Tobiah and Geshe? They are the ones used to the house, used to the church, not the hymn, not the song, not the Bible, not the verse. They know how everything works. But God did not use them. He was using a Gentile king, Cyrus, to make sure God's work, God's house is built. Number two, inside rubbish. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 
verse 1 to 3. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. But it came to pass, when Sambalad heard that they built the wall, he was wrath and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are born? Look at verse 10. And Judah said, The strength of the barriers of burdens are decayed. There is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. What, is that? what are these rubbish? It's simple. Sand, clay, dust. You know, there are rubbish in a Christian life that is not necessary. That instead of helping propagate God's word, it does hinder it. One of those rubbish is the rubbish of envy. Envy is not an article, it's not a substance of the progress of the work of God. It's not going to yield anything in the work of God. It's not needed in the work of God. There's no positive in envy. Another thing, one of the rubbish in the, in the building, of course, in the, that hinders God's work is strife. Smoting quarrels, smoting quarrels, smoting quarrels. The God's work will not go anywhere. Another thing that would hinder God's work, of course, Hebrews chapter 12 speaks of his body, his weight, and sin. Sin. But in this aspect, it's not even the people building. It's more like, uh, I believe in the night, after they had finished building and setting up their instrument and go to take some rest in the night, that this Sambalat and group will go and gather rubbish and put near the work. And heap rubbish so that when they come, they will take three hours to clean it instead of take three hours to build it. Some people are even, you know, <laughs> they are rubbish inside where God wants to build. Instead of the, of the workers should spend time working, they spend all their time cleaning. They spend their time resolving issues. They spend their time rearranging the inside. When, to, when they should just get to work, they spend their time trying to set things in order, clear up those rubbish. Those rubbish are weights. Those rubbish are sin. Those rubbish are envy. Those rubbish are stripes. Those rubbish are dishonesty. Those rubbish are a lot of self. Plenty of yourself. No, you should have yourself, but not plenty of yourself. The Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Yes, love yourself, but it did not give you just yourself. A lot of yourself, but a lot also of others. You see, it's just like marriage. When couples come for first counseling, second counseling, they never even see three weeks. Pastor don't counsel them six times. There's problem. There's distraction. There's rubbish in that home. It cannot focus. Instead of building their love and, of course, are getting into uh, that, that lovable home, building their hope, they are busy trying to sort out misunderstanding. Those rubbish distract, they weaken God's work. Like he says here, the strength of the barriers of the burden is decayed. You know why? They have spent time carrying rubbish. Just imagine you go to a place to walk. The man said, this is where you walk. I want you to just lay about 200 blocks on the wall and give you cement to mix. And you notice that for you to do that, there is a lot of rubbish in that area. You begin to carry shovel and begin to clear them. 
the strength you would have been you would have used in plain blocks, you are now using it to clear things that are not needed, unnecessary, use, useless things. Those are those things in our Christian life. Most, most of us spend time keeping rubbish in our heart, in our life. And that's why God's work is hindered. That's why it decays our strength. That's why we are not full like we used to be full. There is a lot of rubbish here. Number three, one of the things that hinders God's work is the inside division. An inside division. Now, this division, I'm not talking about division that is more of tribe and group and, you know, class or whatever. I don't think it's in this church when it comes to class, but I think tribe is Charlie Calabari. Sorry. I noticed that there are more Ogunidip today. I try to count Ogunidip in this church. There are Becoming plenty. If you, if you don't, you're not careful. They are becoming many. So we have to reduce the past so that we'll not one day wake up here and they say, then we are they with it? Are they doing it? Everybody is doing that. You say, ah, what's happening? Is this Ogoni Church? Ogoni Baptist Church? We'll change the name there. <laughs> I'm not talking about tribe. I'm talking about division. What do I mean by division? Mixed feelings. Mixed feelings. If you go into everybody's house seated here, you will find that there are a lot of feelings yet to be defined in the Bible that people have. There is this mixed feelings in people. This is excited. This one is half excited. This one is troubled. In fact, all of these feelings, is not, they cannot pinpoint the reason to it. Those mixed feelings affect God's work when the heart, if you notice the book of Acts when it talks about the New Testament churches, they were of one heart. That one heart is like, you know what one heart is, right? One heart is one heart. I mean, they felt the same way. They had the same kind of passion. They had the same kind of vision. They were in the same page at every given point. Why they were of one heart, it resulted to them of them becoming of one spirit, one soul. From one soul, it become it became to one accord. One accord. It didn't just happen from thin air or that uh, the Holy Ghost forced everybody to be one accord. No. They began to feel the same way. They began to see the same way. They began to understand things the, the same way. They began to gear up and do the same thing. And all of a sudden, that became part of them. It became, they became fond of each other. But the truth is that uh, one of the problems that I have spot even here is mixed feelings. Mixed feelings. Not just mixed feelings. Double mind. Do you notice that if you ask someone, it will come so winning. In the answer you straight. At least you will say, I may not come. I don't know. Uh, I will come, but maybe I'll let. Working with the singles, upstairs we had meeting of smite. I was asking them. Who is going to come for the SMITE program? Some people, they put their hand like this. Some people raise them like this. Some people, they know you feel raise and they hide them for chair. But they are raising it. 
they are double-minded. I'm not saying it's wrong, it's just natural to be, but that is not going to yield any fruit if we go further, if we progress. If we lay these blocks that God has given to us to build, we have to be of one mind. It's hard. You can, I don't know how naturally it's possible, but with God, it's possible. It's possible. As God's children, born again children of God, it's possible. If it was possible for the churches in the book of Acts, why would it not be possible for us? We have mixed, mixed feelings. We have double minds. We have people who are full of themselves than else. People's, some people seated here, they don't have time for you. In fact, now, if I'm going to mention some few things, if you know yourself, I know you're my friend or whatever, I'm not trying to put you up here. I'm just saying that that is the key to it so that we deal with it. You will call someone, miss God, he's not going to call you back. I mean, even pastor will call member, miss God, he's not going to call pastor back. <laughs> pastor, you will call someone and he's, he's seeing your call, pastor, miss God, he don't move, he don't shake up. I mean, they just see like I miss God, oh God. They want to, they want to call, but they don't know. There's this. They don't have time for. It's not part of their programmed default system. You have to format it. You have to put some kind of uh, inbuilt and uh, upgrade the version because it's version 101. You have to upgrade it to version 20 for them to begin to have this uh, communication and synchronize their life with someone else. It's just themselves. They don't have any infrared or Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi are themselves. The Bluetooth are themselves. They don't connect to anyone. After this Sunday evening, the next time you see the person again is Sunday. There is Sunday, Sunday Christians. Sunday, Sunday friends. On Sunday, ah, how are you? Artists now, we just After this Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know they even remember the person's face and name. It's when you enter from the gate, you see the person, you go back to that former feeling. Oh, how are you doing now? You know why? We are just about ourselves. Anything that inconveniences, discomforts us, my brother, nobody wants that, especially for the present Nigerian. Nobody is looking for it. With that, God's work will be hindered. The hands of the builders will be weakened. Another thing that we see in inside the vision is non-challenge. People are unconcerned. People are unmoved. Things are getting bad. People are just seated carefully, happy and smiling. There is fire on the mountain, run, run, run. That's a very old song. There is fire on the mountain, sleep, enjoy, watch film. Tweet, Facebook, WhatsApp. Just enjoy yourself. I need a run. If I load in my house. That is the attitude of most of us as Christians today. It was not so when one person was bothered, all were bothered. When one person was sick, all were sick. When one person was down, all were down. But we have carried out an internal surgery by separating the body of Christ and saying, me, I'll be I. They didn't notice me. Now, from out, they worry. We have this non-challenge or move unconsigned attitude. 
there is this there is a statement people make politically they say we are sitting on a cake of gunpowder that the day go poop. that's like nigeria the things are getting worse they are smiling do you know that in countries where the government sets things or bring policies that actually squeezes more from the common citizens that they go out and protest even when they have everything of life amenities they come out and say no how would you take 10 couple from us our own they, they come on one million uh, at least they're not be not be two million now don't go go pee yourself one five government in the five government that is why we are just everybody is like sickness we are all seated we are smiling and they expire. Things are getting bad, we are enjoying it. In fact, some people are telling you that it will not be him if it was to. That, that's not just politically. Even in the church, things get worse, things are getting bad. We have our eyes, we are seeing it, we can tell something. This thing is it's not how it should be. This thing, we are just not being come church. You carry him. Oh, don't talk him, you sing finish. You walk out, come out. Uh, if, if church stop, they go island day, they go to day, that's how I might think. At least there are other pastors who will go and join that place eh, in the team and see Wahala. Did they carry church go heaven? No. You get friends where they talk to. Eh, I will go to that. At least if I go to Christ's embassy, the man they preach grace, but no get eternal life. But I go to manager. We are liking and enjoying the things deteriorating. We just love it when it decays. It's smelling and spoiling and, and in room, we just enjoy it. We sit down like Sambalat. In fact, if anybody wants to change you, what do you want to do? Now so the thing they did now so I want to change them. We just like to sit down in a nonchalant attitude or unconsigned or moved. No feeling, no compassion. Okay. Let it just stay. At least my son, when they do PhD, when he finish, I'll give him money go America. Now America, where body kid they come. Is it America that has escaped? There's nowhere that is safe to you. The safety is here. If you don't do the right thing to find your safety. We are in danger. The home we have is here. There is no other church you have. You can only be one member of the church. You cannot be six members. Although you are friends to many pastors, it does not mean that you are their member. You are a member of Protocol Independent Baptist Church. When you die, now we go do poster. Go and preach the burial. There is no other pastor that will come. This is your church. When things are not moving, when things are not like you used to, when there is a problem, when there is, you're noticing, whether it's a young person, whether it's an elder, whether it's a, a young lady, whether it's a little boy, an uncle, it's not, okay, okay, put it right. The more we leave it. Do you know the kind of protocol independent Baptist church that uh, my son will come and inherit if we keep doing that? And your children too, and your grandchildren. Do you know the type of, do you know the type I also saw? The one I saw was better than the one I'm seeing. <laughs> the one you, you you saw, as in the oldest members here, was better than the one you I am also seeing today. 
You know why? We all sat down, enjoyed the cool, the preaching, enjoyed the worship, enjoyed the singing, and we live with not doing anything. We just feel okay. We see it, something is going on, we are not spotting it, we are not correcting it, we are not doing anything. We see what is wrong, we just turn blind eye. Or we see what is wrong in certain people. But when is this group? It is not wrong. <laughs> it's wrong if it's uh, Esther, but it's not wrong if it's Samuel. You're correct. That's the problem. That's double standard. If it's wrong with A, it's wrong with B. If it's wrong in the morning, it's wrong in the night. If it's wrong in the church, it's wrong outside. If it's wrong in your prayer closet, it's wrong in the public. But we have this attitude to where we, are, we have a divided attention, a divided, this, this loyalty to group or tribe or particular people. They are doing wrong things. We are, we are okay. We don't tell them it's wrong. But when it's someone else, ah, why they do that kind of thing? Come on, come on. The church will not go far. We will not build any much. We are building, you know, but our hand will decay soon. We are still building, you know, just like Nehemiah had to do. He had to carry sword on his side. Soldiers had to stand. Instead of adding more workers in the work, he was adding workers for security purpose. Because there were people who did not want God's work to progress. Number four, outside compromise. Outside compromise. We have played church inside, but failed outside. We are like them. We lie, we are greedy, pride, hypocrites. We have not been honest outside. We lie to ourselves. When it comes to the things of the world, we do not oppose it. We don't finch. We do not even say, ah, I don't like it. But when it comes to the things of the church, ah, I know agree. Ah, I know they like her. In the world, you're a loser. In the church, you're a fighter. I fight. No, no agree. Yeah, they like nonsense. So yeah, I like to. But when you go outside, I want small boy to deal with you. Your neighbor is smoking. You cannot tell him. Oh God, I know they like cigarettes. Just offer. You are enjoying the smoke. You are loyal to the world, but the rebellion in the house of God. The work will not go anywhere. Will not go anywhere. When it's the things of the church, you stand and oppose it. You have to, no. But outside there, small bang, you hide. Me, I need a like trouble. Me, I'm a Christian. I don't like to fight. But the church, now you won't break up. When it comes to the progress and work of God. We are agile and ready to fight. We try to express ourselves. We are loud. Meanwhile, there, they don't even have small gunpowder. Some people don't even use gun to rob you. They don't hurt people. But here, people do hate. Say, come. You know me. Since the Lebron was there, they talk. What are you saying? We 
uh, agile and strong. But outside here, we don't lose the battle. We are losing outside and winning inside, and an, a negative way of winning. Instead of pushing ourselves to win here, we are the ones stopping ourselves to win. Why the people outside are winning? We are the ones giving them the win. We fail daily. We fail weekly. We fail every day of our life. We pass by and we see things that are wrong. We don't say it's wrong. Outside compromise. We are carnal. We are carnally loyal and spiritually rebellious. When it is thing of pleasure and enjoyment, <laughs> I take it. Let's go. I'm happy. When it is thing of the, the of God, so willing and the rest. Oh boy, yeah. but I say. Get one place for my lecturer. See my come. Let's go get test. Now that time when the test we never write since we supposed to write it, all right on that day. Now I make one of the When is the things of God? There are many ways to escape. But if they call you now, so they talk. Even as church, they all. If we can call your line, see how we can. Church don't close. You cannot say we can, I cannot answer his call. At first, you don't know which government house, whether the other one or this one they come from. So you don't want to pick two government house call. You look at it, we can. There was a lady in IBC of Goja who, I'm preaching hot, preaching sweating. She would get up and do like this. Ah, I just say go. Whether I go remove the sound so that when she raises her, she knows yeah. She knows get off. <laughs> you know, I know there were reasons sometimes emergency, but however, we are easily to allow the things of the world flow with them, you know, condescend, accept, tolerate, support, engage ourselves, practice it. Uh, join the exercise, you know, take the picture, have the phone. It's a good thing. Sometimes it's a clear, pure thing to do. But when it comes to the things of God, it's as if our engine, oh, you know them. I was trying to describe Nigerian Football League, NFF. You do not watch football. I'm a follower of every league. When we sit at the Buku field, I told them that Nigerian League is like engine where all you know they. If you're watching Nigerian League, they just... The players are kicking each other. It's as if it's war. Just simple football, balloon way, plastic, uh, leather that you just kick. People are serious about it. That's why they play ball. That's Nigerian league. It's toe to toe. They are hitting you, they are jamming you. If you don't have body, you cannot play Nigerian league. If you're not 40 above, you cannot play Nigerian league. Everything is rigid, strong. When it comes to the things of God, there's no flexibility. It's as if they go pour oil. When the pastor you go introduce holy oil, when people don't see you, they pour oil, made the thing release. <laughs> Flexible. Let it move their joints. Because there's this stiffness. As if moving is, is, is satanic. Oh, but come, now where are they? Are they garrison? Garrison, where are they? They even rush. 
Take it time. Tell us, what was the tools to Nehemiah's victory? How did Nehemiah succeed in building the wall after 52 days of all these struggles? What did he do? Well, in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7, the Bible says, But it came to pass that when Tobiah, Sambalad and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Astrodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the bridges began to be stopped, then they were very wrath and conspired all of them to gather to themselves, to, to gather to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set watch against them day and night because of them. Anything you're doing as a husband, as a wife, as a parent for your children, in your business, in your workplace, in your academics, in your sports or whatever, whatever you hand find it to do. Whether ministering the church, these things will be there. But the key to victory is prayer. Prayer. It's prayer. Prayer will keep you going. Prayer will make those conspiracies and whatever not to come to pass. It will ease up tension. It will clear up the rubbish. It will make straight path for you to walk. It will make even the little time you take to give into the work. Uh, however, all those opposition, all this division, all these inside things going on, you can still succeed in serving, in pleasing the Lord. It's not an excuse. I just come to church, just say my wife, don't like that. Why? Where that kind? So I know they come again. You wouldn't have victory that way. You can only have victory when you channel these things because it's not a welfare that is human and natural. It's a spiritual warfare. Prayer. Prayer. Whether a broken marriage, you're trying to hold the edges and bring it to work. The other part is dragging it. I don't agree. Throwing rubbish. Making, it, making you not to succeed to keep the home. But you know the key? The key to Nehemiah's victory is prayer. It's prayer. It's God's house. The family is not our own. <laughs> we can think, well, it's my, it's my family. Well, we are just custodians. We are just uh, uh, stewards of God's family. God has brought us together. He instituted marriage. He made you. He saved you. He gives you children as gifts for your inheritance so that you raise them up in, his, in fear and admonition for his own glory. And everything that is happening within the marriage, within the husband and wife, whatever is happening, the reputation, there may be edges and ridges and all these heaps of rubbish and things, distractions that is trying to tear it apart, the building of God's house. Whether it's an individual, personal house, or uh, um, uh, 
our home, our marriage, or our, our business, our community, or whatever it is, no matter what we do, the key to victory is prayer. Sometimes I need that, I don't say anything. I just need that, and I look, I look to God, I say, just look at me. If I get up, I just want to feel fine. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 to 10, a son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And you say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon my altar, and ye say, Wherein, wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye, saw, ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto the governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person? Say the Lord of hosts. And now I pray you, I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. These have been my, been by your means. And will you regard your person, say the Lord of hosts? Where is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire on my altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, say the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. Let us pray. Father, Lord, we are very privileged to uh, be healthy and strong and to attend the service this morning in your presence and in your church. And Lord, we ask for your will in everyone's life. And Lord, we pray that uh, coming here would help us to draw close to you, that you will reach us in our various points of needs. Your words will come into us and that we will take actions, make decisions that will benefit us and also glorify you in our lives. We beg for your presence among us, understanding and all help us. Speak to us, O God, not as before, but today, especially through this message. Help me, Lord, to be an instrument for you. And may glory and honor be given to you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. This morning I want to uh, preach a message titled Uncomplete Restoration. Uncomplete Restoration. The book of Malachi is, is, is centered around the word restoration. That's the thing. To restore. And uh, everything God is saying in Malachi is about restoring. And of course, the meaning of the word Malachi is my messenger. And the word restoration or to restore is simple. It means to bring back, to return to its former, to recover, to come back to soundness of health or mind or heart with God or with anything. In this case, restoration is with God, to be restored back to God, to return back to God, to come back sound, strong, like in the former. The book of Malachi is one of those books that uh, records the, the return of Israel from, the, from their captivity. And all of these books, there are several books that span through this return of Israel, uh, and they all talk about 
what they did when they came back from Babylon, the, 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 the city of Babylon, when they came back to Israel, to Jerusalem, as God has promised, when they came back, what happened? And all the accounts of Malachi, even Hagar, and Zechariah's, Ezra, Nehemiah, all talk about the return of Israel back to their former place. And uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 3, begins the fall of man. The story of man falling from grace, from dominion, from divine purpose, from fellowship with God, from the divine nature, from innocence. And then uh, the fall of man, of course, is recorded in Genesis chapter 3. But from then after, God began to put in place the work to restore back man to what he was supposedly to be to bring back man to him, to return man, to save man, and uh, to put man back to his divine position, to have dominion, divine nature, divine power, fellowship, to serve the Lord, uh, to be justified, innocent, righteous, like he was innocent before in Genesis chapter when he was, man was made. And since then, God Almighty started putting in place all the work to make sure that man will be totally, completely restored. And all these steps God took was made possible and completed on the cross of Calvary. And of course, the restoration of man's soul from damnation was finished. That's number one this morning. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse number Two, the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The word finisher simply means is Jesus Christ completed. He made it possible, author, creator, uh, originator, uh, the maker of our faith, completed everything that would allow man to exercise his faith on God. On the cross of Calvary, when Jesus died, he was restoring man's soul from damnation back to salvation, to be saved, to be justified, to be redeemed, to be perfect and righteous again in the eyes of God because the judgment of man's sin was executed on the cross of Calvary. The redemption of man's sin was accomplished on the cross of Calvary and restoring of man back to God was completed. In John chapter 17, Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, one of his uh, prayers in John chapter 17 was his prayer for the disciples and for us all also. In verse number 4, the Bible says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou givest me to do. And we know also in John chapter 19 verse 30 that Jesus on the cross simply said, it is finished. So the, the work to restore man back to his place, back to his former place of Righteous, pure, holy, divinely strong, stable, perfect, was completed on the cross of Calvary. 
And right now, what God expects us to do is to take a step. You know, restoration has a lot to it. There are several steps to restoration. Whether it is of your wealth, or of your business, or of your soul, or of your health, or whatever it is in the big picture. There are steps that we have to take. Because why? God has completed the steps that are impossible. And has given to us the simple step that is possible, that anyone can take. And that's why salvation is rested on the word belief. Belief. To restore one's soul back to God, to atone for sin on the cross of Calvary, Jesus died, paid the full depth of sin, completed the work. Today is the auto and finish of our faith, and simply is telling us, look unto me, as simple as looking, as simple as belief, as simple as receive, as simple as trust, as simple as rest, like you're sitting on the chair this morning. That is the very aspect that God has allowed us to exercise. A simple step of faith. Like the creation was finished, all we have to do is enjoy the creation, the nature, the animals, everything God made. We are not helping God to create them. It was already finished on that day when God created the heaven and earth. All we have to do is accept it, believe it, use it as God told us to do. And so the restoration of man's soul was completed, finished on the cross of Calvary. So for you this morning, if you're visiting for the first time, maybe for you, maybe you don't yet understand the, the salvation of our soul. Salvation is a work that has been done already. All God asks from you is to make a decision, a step of faith, to receive that work, to restore back your soul back uh, to God. And of course, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and is heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's as simple as that. Come. It's as simple as look. It's as simple as believe. It's as simple as receive. I think those things are the easiest part to do. The hardest part was done by God on the cross of Calvary. He gave his life for our sins. He shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. He suffered for our sins. He did what we could not do. And none of us will even want to do. And what we were not worthy to even perform. We could not pay for our sins, for we are sinful. We could not atone for our sins, for we are already defied by sin. We cannot offer to God any perfect sacrifice. We cannot give to God our righteousness, for there is still a small dent of a righteousness in us. Although we may not have sinned, but we have come short. We may try to fulfill some part of the law. We may try to keep the commandment and obey and uh, give our life to God. Like many say, give my life to God. Give my life to Christ. We may want to serve Him with all our life. But serving, serving the Lord with all your life, giving Him all your time, is giving a life that is also sinful. A time that is not perfect. We give some time, we don't give some time. We pray sometimes, we don't pray sometimes. Today we are good, tomorrow we are not. And so because of that, the work of salvation, we could not perform it. We could not do that work. We could not restore ourselves back. The Bible tells us of Jesus as a shepherd who was looking for the sheep. The sheep was not finding his way back. We were always wandering away from God. Every step we took was taking us far from God. It was Jesus Christ who out of love searched and sought us, brought us back. Because, of course, 
God loves us and cares about us. And all he did from after Genesis chapter 3 was only to restore us back to himself. The Bible says he died to pay the sin debt to himself. We were not involved in the exchange. We were not involved in the payment. We were not involved in the suffering. We didn't give anything. In fact, some of, we were not even born. But Jesus cared, loved, had sought us, understood the need that he had to do the impossible. For if he does the impossible, then it is indeed of God. God doesn't do the possible. The impossible of having a virgin conceived, the impossible of having a man live a perfect life, the impossible of dying on the cross, whereas he was even innocent. It's something we can all understand, but that is the work of restoring man back to God. I wonder this morning, if you would like to be restored back to God, if you'd like to come back to him. Well, you say we are in church. Yes, that's a step. Yes, you have a Bible. That's a step to be restored. Yes, you're listening to the preaching. That's a step. But you have to make a decision. The Bible says in John 5, 24, Very, very, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me had everlasting life, and is passed from death unto life. You see, it's your decision now. The choice is yours to make. We can choose not to be restored. We can stay where we are. We can continue wandering, wallowing, waiting for the day of death and judgment in hell. But all of these are because of your decision. God wants to save you. God cares about you. God is not happy when anyone is... In fact, the Bible says God is happy when the righteous die, not when the unrighteous dies, because it's needless. If all God did from the beginning was to save man and made it too easy, per se, let me use the word too easy, that all you have to do where you're seated is to simply, like a child, trust the offer, trust the work that Christ did on the cross of Calvary, And that will settle your restoring your soul back to God. Do you know that your soul is already condemned because you're a sinner. Do you know that your soul has no place? The soul that sin it, it shall die. The death is separation from God in hell. And for you to be restored back, God has done everything. All he's asking you to do is just take the step of believing, receiving, and trusting him today. And your soul will be restored. Now, the book of Malachi was centered at the children of Levites, the tribe of Levites. They were the ones responsible for serving in the temple, doing the work in the temple. We all know that the, rest, the, 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 the plan of God of bringing Israel back to, uh, from Babylon to Israel was fulfilled. Because that's number two. Number two, the return of Israel from Babylon was fulfilled. God fulfilled that part, the impossible part where God sends the nation of Israel into Babylon. For 70 years they were there, in hunger, in bondage. They were under citizens. Their privileges were lost. Their temple were not there. They served. They did. Some of them even forgot how to serve. Some of them, did not. in fact, they didn't attend their normal assembly, their solemn assembly that they usually have. They had no altar to sacrifice. They were left on their own for 70 years. Children have been killed, uh, houses spawned, their very city has been brought down to ruin by Babylon and the patients. But God said in Psalms 
126. Psalms 126. The Bible says in verse 1, When the Lord turned again, the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. Think about people who have left where they were before, their city, their village, their house, all their work, their hands have been able to do, their business, their farmland, their cattle, everything. They are left it because of bondage, like because of themselves even. It was because of their sin. And then going to Babylon, they have lost every reason to laugh. They have lost every reason to have hope. They have lost every reason to serve the Lord. They have lost every reason to pray. They have lost every reason to, to read their Bible. They have lost every reason uh, to go to church or to the temple. They have lost every reason to serve the Lord. They even said they will not make mention of God. They won't sing a song. Their song had gone up. No more singing. The Bible says their mouth was filled with laughter because all this while they had not laughed. They were in sorrow, in weeping. They were in pain throughout 70 years as slaves in the, in the kingdom of Babylon. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. They had not sung any song. <laughs> all the songs they have been singing from the book of Psalms, all these David songs, the songs in the temple, the musicians, everything went mute. Silence, no singing. Then said they among the people, the hidden, the Lord had done great things for them. The Lord had done great things for us. Whereof? Whereof we were glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in fears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping, literally they were going into Babylon weeping. They had lost loved ones, friends, lost their business. Every single thing that made Israel what Israel was, they lost it. They entered Babylon as nobody. No name, in fact, some of them changed name. They had to start again. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall that less come again, restored back again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. This is literally bringing back their sheaves. There is a Bible history about Israel. They usually have, like, during farming season, when you have vesicle, maize, you take out some and keep it to dry because you want to sow it, plant it back. Abby? Is it not? When they gathered those ones and uh, during the captivity, when they were leaving, some of them gathered some crops, you know, to plant when they get there. But they did not find anywhere to plant it. It was said that they began to eat the seed every day. You know what it means to eat a dry maize every day because <laughs> there was you can't plant it. Think about cooking a dry maize. Even if you use coal fire, you will not cook it. If like you use six stove, you will not cook it. It will not be soft. It will still be strong. They had to be eating their seed because there was no need, no reason to sow or plant. They didn't have the privilege to have farms in Babylon. There were no farming in Babylon. It was an urban settlement and well-advanced city. 
But you see, they came back bringing in the sheep. They had to come back. Some of them brought back one seed. And as they got to Israel, they put that seed down because this is a land that floweth with milk and honey. It was a joyous thing to put back that one seed. That's just history. But you see, Israel, God fulfilled the part, the impossible part to bring them back. Look at Jeremiah 29, where God told Jeremiah about him bringing them back in 29, verse 9. The Bible says, For the, the for they prophesied falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. Verse 10. For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished, at Babylon I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. Well, he did that. And we are glad he did. This account for this return of Israel goes through the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Hagar, Zechariah, and Malachi. They are all records of Israel's return. God fulfilled that part. Israel, when, he came, when, when Israel came back, Ezra was the one involved in restoring back the law to its place. He was a ready scribe who had prepared himself that when that took place, when they came back to the land of Israel, to their former place, when they are restored back, when God fulfills that prophecy, he was in charge, he was the one God used to restore back the law. Nehemiah was used to restore back the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. Esther was used to restore Israel from the death threat of Haman. Haggai was used to restore the quitting Jews from back to work of the temple they quitted. Zechariah restored their hopes on the Messiah covenant of a king coming. Malachi was a messenger to Israel to complete the restoration process. You see, there is a process that God had put. God has done the impossible. You are back to the land. But you see, in that Malachi, let's go back to Malachi. We notice exactly what Israel did. And there are reasons to that. Verse number 9, sorry, 6, Malachi chapter 1. A son honoreth his father, a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name, and ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Now, Israel, when they return, the book of Ezra gives us account of many Levites. Even Nehemiah gives us account of Levites who had forgotten everything about God, who were, in fact, they had intermarried with an uh, ungodly uh, people. They did not have separation. They had entangled themselves. They become Babylonians. They have forgotten what they were. You can understand that 70 years in Babylon has, can do a lot to someone. It can change you. It can transform you for the negative. The Bible says don't be equally yoked with unbelievers. They were yoked with them. Some of them did not have that strength or that devotion or that determination like Daniel and Shedrach and Misha and Abednego to separate themselves even while they were in Babylon. Some of them compromised. Some of them failed. Some of them forgot what they were called. The Levites were given a 
very important position in the house of God. If there were any reasons, if there were people that would backslide or uh, go back, it should not be the Levites. Their, their cause, their purpose, their, their work was so important to the restoring of Israel. But you see, Levite also came back. Nehemiah met them. They began to send back the women they had married. The Levite too, when they came back, they noticed they have not been paying their tithes. I said I won't mention it, but since I've mentioned it. They also said other things they were supposed to do. But you see, Israel made a decision to return. Physically, they took that step. Would you agree? They took that step to return. Also, they had trusted God's promises. They returned. But there were some processes that they did not follow that made Israel restoration to be incomplete. They were willing to take a step back to return to Israel, to the promised land. They returned to their routine worship. They returned to their usual service. They returned to their sacrifice. But listen, there was this part of them that never returned. Something never returned in Israel. As we speak, after Israel returned to this back to their land, Israel has never been the same. If you read through history, it begins, that's Malachi we're just reading. That's the last book of the Old Testament. It's not just there for coincidence. It was the last thing. The last thing that Israel heard or did. And then we see when Jesus came that Israel was scattered abroad in the Roman Empire. They did not know left nor right. After Israel returned from captivity of 70 years, that 70 years had something to do with them. It took a lot out of them. For some of you here this morning, 2020, 21 has taken a lot from you. It may not be 70 years in captivity, but you see this COVID-19 era of lockdown and everything that happened had taken a lot from us. To recover is, is even an impossible thing for some of us. For some of you, redundancy in your workplace, the reduced staffs. For some of you, the salary you usually earn, they cut it into two. For some of you, you work more than you usually work. For some of you as students, classes are out of order. For some of you, you had to leave the residence where you live because you could no longer afford to pay the, the rent and you went to somewhere more affordable. For some of you, the business you were running, you could no longer run it. You had to sell off and sell things and go back to zero. For some of you as a Christian, you cannot come back to soul winning. You cannot come back to praying. You cannot come back to reading your Bible. You cannot come back to church anymore. It's more like a routine thing. It's more like there is, there is, this, there is something that happened in that one year of lockdown. We can as well not look at it, but it is the effect. We are seeing the effect. It's hard for the world globally to come back. It's hard for the church to come back. It's hard for our finances to come back. It's hard for our joy, our peace to come back. This is not just Israel. It's also we. They came back. Let me just come back. They did their part. Let me just do it. Let's go. They went. But there was something that did not come back. You know what did not come back? Their heart. Their heart did not come back. 
For some of us, we are here this morning, but your heart is not yet back. For some of us, we are here this morning, but your heart is not back. You cannot say that this is exactly who you are, 2029, that 2019. You cannot say that this is who you were in early 2020. There is something that has not come back. The doors are open. Even our attendance cannot come back. Our soul winning cannot come back. The zeal, the fire burning on us is extinguished by this process, this, this, uh, 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 this lockdown that we stayed in. There is something that happened in our heart. We may not look at it that, well, I'm back. No, we are just in the routine. We are just in the usual. But right there in your heart, you know, I know, we are not back to our best. In fact, if you were to compare yourself, your best is in the past. Even as a businessman, to go back to that same level of business is hard. It's hard. But you see, God is in the work of restoration. Amen. He wants to restore back. You see, when Israel was restored back, they were like them that dream. It was, this is happening. It was not that they returned because they desired to return or that God used so much a revival or a revivalist, a prophet, a priest. They had lost everything. There was no prophet, no priest in Babylon. They were just individuals living and hiding in that city, trying to adapt to anything and manage. You see, the people God used to restore Israel back were the hidden kings. Ahasuerus, Atazuses, Darius, and that's the people that God used to bring them back. God walked in the heart of those people and said, I want us, I want my people to come back. And they began to establish that path, that process. And Israel began to take that step. You see, that 70 years in captivity did something to Israel. It made them bitter. They questioned God's character. If God is holy, why is he sending us to an holy kingdom? Why is he using an holy king to chastise us? You know, we may not look at it carefully, but Israel was bitter. Even as they came back, they had not resolved. Their heart was yet not restored. They had restored the temple. That's fine. They had restored the worlds and the gates. That's fine. The law was ready to be read and taught. Fine. The Levites were getting into their work. But there was something in that while their heart was not yet back or restored like it was before, it affected the way they served the Lord. That they were bringing polluted bread and sacrifice to God. What Israel did not do before. They gave, but it was not in the best shape. They prayed, but not in the best way that they should. They sang, but not with all their hearts. They sang, but with a little bit of convenience and a little bit of ex, a, a, a little part where they, no, I won't go this far. You know, that's what is happening to us. The church is faced with a very struggle this year to bounce back. It's becoming impossible to have soul winners. It's becoming impossible to have Sunday school teachers. 
It's becoming impossible to have people sit in the pew. A pastor called Paul Chapel of Parkside Baptist Church, he said that the, the impost, God can do anything in anyone's life, but if that person will not come and sit and listen to the preaching, God cannot change such a person. If anyone will sit down, he said the problem is an empty pew is the problem. Say it's empty pews are the it's not that God cannot, but no one is there. You see, their love for God became extinguished by their past experience in captivity. Their previous devotion to God was seemingly advantageous. It was not advantageous for God judged them unfairly. But we serve you. But we prayed. We went out so many. We thought we did our part. But why would this thing happen? Why would you send us to Babylon? You would think that uh, Israel did not think so, but it did. So some of us, we thought the same. But why did God allow these things to happen? I know how I served him in 2029-19. I know what I did. I was faithful. And everything, it looks like you're the one that everything, the wave came to. For God judged them unfairly, unfair treatment. We deserve better. They were humiliated, shamed in Babylon. They were flogged, given, given crumbs. They were set out from the main city to live somewhere else. Only the choicest princes like Daniel were choosing to stay among the Babylonians. They were put out in what you call Bundu and the rest of the water lock. That's where they put them and say, go and stay there if we are gone. They lay over labored them, they served and nothing. They were paid little. And you, they look at it and say, Why God? But we were always in the temple giving our lamb. We we're always in the temple paying our tithe. We we're always in the temple praying. We we're always in the temple serving you. We did all this, even the Levites. That's why when they came back, they were not like they used to be. They had served the Lord all the days of their life. They had no other option. It was their portion to serve the Lord. But they had done that all through. And yet God gather everybody and send them into Babylon like nobody was serving him. You know, sometimes we become bitter. We think God had treated us unfairly. But do you want to complete your own restoration? Do you, would you like to take a step to getting back to being restored? There are steps that we can take you see, Psalms 23, Psalms 23 is a, a very big truth that if you and I can spend time reading, it doesn't get old, <laughs> doesn't get old. Psalms 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Look at verse 3. He restored my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, 
Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This book of Psalms is interesting because it gives us the purpose, the reason why we should follow God's plan and for God to restore us. For God to restore us, there are five things we need to do. Number one, we have to make a decision. A decision. What is that decision? Your choice. It's your choice to be restored. Why am I saying that? Because everything that needs to be done, the impossible areas, the impossible steps, the impossible works are already fulfilled. All God wants you to do is a, is a decision. I want to be restored. I want to go back. I want to return. I want to go, get back to my best. I want to go back to what I do. I want to go back to my uh, former thing or that is good that I used to do. I want to be, you know, you look, notice, notice that our best days throughout this, this era has always been the past. <laughs> our best days has always been the past. If I ask you what has been your, what is your best days? Even for Nigeria, our best days <laughs> is past. <laughs> it's always history. Ah, remember those days. Ah, those days. There is no present best days. There is no present memory to hold and say, ah, this, this is good. There is nothing as compared to the past in terms of our best days to make a decision, your choice. Faith to trust the Lord's will and plan to restore you. Number three, commitment. Israel have been commit have committed themselves to serving, to giving sacrifice. The Levite to serve the Lord. But that's not all. Number four, sacrifice. They had to give in. They have to give something. They, some, it has to cost them something. In fact, the book of Haggai describes the people, Israel as a whole. But the book of uh, Malachi describes the inside the Levites, not Israel as a whole, but the tribe of Levi who were the ones serving in the temple. They were serving, but giving God polluted things. They were praying, but they were not praying right. They were sacrificing, but their sacrifice were uh, blemished, spotted sacrifice. They did not give what they usually give. You know why? Because they didn't have much. They had just returned from captivity. You don't expect them to have much, have you? They are trying to bounce back. They are trying to set up their farm. They are trying to set up their business. They are trying to, you know, go back to that, you know, flourishing time and milk and honey time and try to go back to the abundance, but they are not getting it. It's not happening. And so they began to look at if one, if it's just this one, then let's break it and then go this way. They were not able to sacrifice like they did. Number five, our heart. We have to do something with our heart. Psalms 57. Psalms 57. In verse number 7. Your heart can be fixed. Can be fixed. We may have taken a decision to be in church. I remember when there was lockdown. Even when the church did not hold for over four months. It affected everything. Some, it looks like we may even stop. We just find something else to do at that meantime. 
focus on something. Some of us land skill, uh, find another thing to do in that space of four months. You can't go out, you can't do anything. You're in lockdown. For some of us, that lockdown was heavy on us. It affected our heart. But God can fix your heart. In verse number 7, the Bible says, My heart is fixed. Oh God, my heart is fixed. It's twice. I will sing and give praise. I wake up my glory. I wake something and have. I myself will awake early. For some of I, as a church, we have gone back to our normal service. In the lockdown, when we came back, it was two service. 20%, 50%. We say 80%. We say two services. We, having, we, had, we had two services. <laughs> this message I'll preach it two times. It was not easy. <laughs> Preaching the same message twice. <laughs> and when I finished and go back, it's as if I, I ran from here to Abba. <laughs> it's not easy. Preaching twice. It's, it wasn't easy for me. Too. It wasn't easy for you. We, come, we came back to our soul winning, came back to our visitation, came back to our normal activities. But we are now back to our normal things, is it not? But there is something that is unfixed yet. Your heart. My heart. That needs to be fixed today. And God can fix the heart. There are, I don't know anyone that can fix the heart. Although medically, there are people who treat the heart. Our heart, our soul, are the seat of our soul, the seat of our being. There is only one man that can fix it, and it's God. If you want to get your car fixed, what do you do? You take it, you decide to take it to a professional. If you take it to join, join all this roadside, you have your parts scattered, and they put where they put some things where they are not supposed to put it. You continue to repair it every day. But if you take it to the right person, and God can fix it. And here the Bible says, my heart is fixed. Would you like God to fix your heart? Yes, you decided to resume, continue coming to church, going out soon like we had stopped before, time to go back to our normal service, time to serve the Lord like we used to. But something is yet unrestored, your heart. Why not let God restore it today? Is there bitterness? Is there this unfair treatment? Looks like God did not treat me well. I mean, in my workplace, <laughs> I'm the best. I'm the one that they suck. <laughs> I mean, in my family, I'm the best. I'm the, I'm the one that tried to make ends meet for my brothers and sisters. And God knows I give, I support them. And I'm the one that God allowed for these things to happen. You can begin to look deep, deep down and begin to accuse or question God's character. Does he really love me? Is he fair? No? Is he merciful? Is he gracious? Why will all these things happen? But you see, because God has done the impossible and he wants you to do the possible by taking that step. You don't want your restoration to be incomplete. Take the step to complete them. You made a decision. You're trusting the Lord. You've committed yourself to coming and doing what you used to do. But there's something else. It will take a lot. It will cost you more than it did before. 
to get yourself back to your normal, to your joy, to your peace, to your fellowship, to your sweet communion with brothers and sisters in the church, to your service to God. It will cost you more now to get it restored. And then finally, to restore your heart. Just take it to God and let the Lord restore you. Let us pray. Let us pray. This morning, for some of us, we have to pull through these steps. It's a challenge for us. Financially, it's a challenge. Mentally, it's a challenge. We have been bondage and constrained for several months. Our, our mentality has been affected. And so to, to, to come out is even something, we, we are even afraid to want to devote ourselves again. If I devote myself, what will happen next? It could be worse next. So let me just stay a bit, let me, don't go too far. You see, that wouldn't restore anything. It would rather put you in a position of unhappiness, sadness, and unfruitful. Where you will be struggling with your peace, where you know by yourself that you're not at your best. You're not at your best mentally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, you're not at your best. And there's one man that can change it for you, it's God. He will come to him like a car that is parked in a mechanic. The owner leaves it for the mechanic to go through. Why not come? Like David said, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Create in me a clean heart, O oh Lord. That is God's work. He will do it if you take a decision, take a step of faith, and during the invitation you come. Say, Lord, I want my heart to be fixed. You will fix it for you. For some of you this morning, maybe your soul is unrestored. If you were to die today, you don't have you don't have a clear honest, you don't even know where you'll be. Maybe probably you think, well, I come to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I, I'm not as worse as the other person. Uh, I try to keep God's commandment. Uh, you cannot restore yourself. The Bible says, he, rest, he restored my soul. That is a, a passive statement. That, that's to say, you are not the one restoring yourself. It's God that restores you. You are a receiver of someone who has been restored. You can't do the work of restoration. Your soul is sinful. Your life is unrighteous. Your works are not perfect. The only man who has done it perfectly. And he said, it is finished. All he wants for you to do is just a decision. I choose today to trust him from my heart. The Bible says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Two things involve your mouth and your heart. It's now your choice. Would you like to decide for your soul to be restored from damnation? from sin, 
from judgment of sin, from that position that you are already condemned to death because of sin. Your wages is not life, it's death. Your portion is not life as a sinner. The soul that sinneth, not it shall live, it shall die, be separated. It's God's complete commandment. God is not partial, he's a just God. But you, you see today you can ex escape that judgment by letting the Lord Jesus restore you by doing the first decision, taking the first step. I want to be restored. Here is my heart, Lord, save me. He will do that for you. Is there anyone this morning? Just raise your hand where you are. Say, I like to be restored. I like to be saved. I like uh, God to save me and make me to become his child, to come back to him. As sinners, we are we have, we have gone far. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. God wants to get you back. And when you indicate with your hand where you are, we will show you God's promises. You can be restored. Your soul can be restored. Your life can be given you. Eternal life restored to you by God's powerful promises. You and God. Anyone, I'd like to be restored. I'd like someone to restore my soul. Just put up your hand. Up. Show, just show by raising up your hand. Someone will show you how you can be restored. Your soul back to the Lord. I'd like to be saved. I'd like to know where I will go if I die. I know I, I try some things. I, I do some good things. But I want, I want to, uh, my soul to be fully restored. Not an incomplete restoration. Anything you do will be incomplete. It's Christ that finished it. And your soul can be restored today. Maybe there's something you need to do today. There's something that did not return. There's something that is not back yet for you. There's something that is still far from the Lord. Your body is near the Lord in church. Your, 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 your every physical self is here with the Lord. Of course, you come to church, you try to read the Bible, you pray, uh, you make a time uh, you know, to be in church and services. Uh, you have been able to take this step, decision and faith, but, uh, and then trying to keep up to this commitment. But you see, it would cost you more. Sometimes you have taken the steps, but you have not pulled through yet. Maybe the step you need to take your heart needs to be fixed. Cleansed, made whole and willing again. Your heart needs to be washed. Your heart needs to be given to the Lord for Him to come in and clean them so that whatever you do will be accepted. Create in me a clean heart. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Something affects whatever you do if you don't get it fixed, your heart. When the hymn player plays, it's your decision to take. It's in your hands. Get your heart fixed. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Bless every decision we are going to take today. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for doing the most impossible work to restore our soul. It's, it's impossible for us to restore our own soul. Thank you for giving your life, your Lord, dying for our behalf, redeeming us from sin and hell and judgment. Thank you, Lord, for saving us, restoring our soul. 
or there are other areas of our life you want us to restore. It could be our business, it could be our, our, our service, it could be our fellowship, it could be uh, the heart we once had, a, a heart that loved you with no cold in it, with no lukewarm, zealous on fire for you. That's the kind of heart we need, Lord. And we need to be fixed. Help us, Lord, to fix it this morning before we leave. How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not, uh, whom He raised not up. If so be that He died, He. If so be that the dead rise not, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. A lot of work has been done behind the scene. A lot of people have played their part to make this service what it is today. But mostly, we're here because of you. You did everything. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us a faith that is strong, powerful, that we have uh, a, a, a way of life as Christians that is not based on human traditions or fables or, or even some religious cult that we know of today. We thank you for giving us a more true and powerful message and faith to practice. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for giving your body to be served, to be beaten and torn in pieces and shedding all your blood, spilling all your blood so that we can be saved by your blood. Our sins can be forgiven and washed. Thank you for lying on the grave for three days, allowing yourself to be limited, to become a man humbling yourself right in the tomb as God the Son. We thank you, Lord, for giving such uh, love and such uh, giving us such a uh, uh, thing for us to uh, appreciate you for. We also thank you for rising the third day. For if not your resurrection, Lord, we, may, we will be miserable and will be like other cults and religions. Well, thank you, Father, for saving us. Thank you for all you did. Bless this message. Use me, Lord. May we not live here the way we've come in. Give us something individually for, for our needs, to fill our heart, our soul, our body. That we might be just like the day you rose from the dead, resurrected. Our faith risen, revived, quickened. Our, our service, our zeal, all the dead part of our life to be touched today that we may rise again from the dead. Bless this time in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, throughout this week, I've been battling what to preach. I have even written several outlines, tried to meditate upon it, study. I found out that one of the most difficult times to preach is a day like this, because the message is just, is just simple. And for that reason, I want to keep it simple. The message this morning is the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. 
Well, as we all know, the cross of Calvary is not uncommon. During the time of the Roman government, the Roman Empire, the way of execution was through the cross. It wasn't something uncommon for Christ to die, to be crucified on the cross. It was a normal thing. Neither was it uncommon for him to be in the grave. People were buried in the grave. The tomb or the rock was the way the Oriental people used to bury people. They carve out space in the rock and they bury people in a tomb. We see that even the Egyptians practiced the same thing in a tomb inside a mountain. And so it wasn't really something uncommon or something supernatural, something spectacular to see somebody down the cross. It's just normal. It's a daily occurrence there in the hill of Golgotha. Everyone walked around seeing people being crucified day and day, week in, week out. It wasn't something so much supernatural or something that we will look at as a message to share that Jesus died on the cross per se. But there's something that makes it more uncommon, the resurrection made it something that is no longer a common thing, that even, uh, although Jesus' testimony is outstanding, people saw what he did, people saw what he claimed, according to human uh, view, what he says he is, the Son of God, the Messiah, people saw what he did, the mighty works, and uh, what even made people think about his crucifixion was what he stood for, what he taught, what he did, and they tend to have a conflict with, is it truly what he says he is? How can such thing happen to such a man that did all these great things? You know, it was just the testimony that made them to uh, have a, a trouble seeing it as a normal thing during the time of Jesus. But you know what? one thing that is interesting is that the resurrection changes everything. Like the Bible tells us here that if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Every religion started by men have miserable ending. They are miserable. According to Muhammad, he said he doesn't know where he's going to, that they should pray for him. Buddha didn't know where he was going. In fact, it wasn't that Jesus' lifestyle seemed to be so much something someone can talk about. I'm just, I'm not trying to diminish. I'm trying to make you think upon the cross, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm trying to make you come down to a person who had never heard of Jesus. I'm trying to make you come to the time of when Jesus was crucified. That it wasn't something that was uncommon to see someone crucified. It was a normal thing, normal event. The Roman soldiers sought it pleasure, as a thing of pleasure to buffet people on the cross. It was part of their sport. They like it. They torture people, put them up there in the cross, watch them die. It's a normal thing. But you see, what makes the, 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 the message of, of Christianity, the message of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ, the, the, the the, the position and stand of Jesus Christ to be elevated, to be set aside from other religion is his resurrection that sets it aside. That why we think on other things, Buddha thought about love. If you read the, some of these posts you see on Facebook or what, are Buddhist 
posts. Even Aris Krishna, all these doctrines, they teach love, they teach mercy, they teach forgiveness, they teach uh, goodwill, they teach tenance or Ramada or Hajj or, uh, or uh, Zakat or Salat, praying, giving alms to the needy. It was part of all the religions have this part of things that show some good things that they do. The same thing, liking to Christ. He showed some good works, he did some supernatural, he wasn't the first to raise the dead. He wasn't the first to heal the sick. He wasn't the first to feed 5,000. You know, it wasn't really something that sitting down as a Christian we can hold on to. Because as Christ was crucified on the cross, that message aligned itself with other religion. We can put it in the same line with other religion. We can say just like Buddha, Christ is like Buddha. But you see, Christ's resurrection sets everything aside. In fact, it puts us in the right spot that Christianity is not a religion, that it is the way God intended for us to go. It's the way God wants us to serve. It's the way God wants us to do whatever we do in our religion or as way of devotion and practice and worship. It's not some kind of religion. So looking at the crucifixion, he had died. Was was not the first to betrayed, was not the first to be betrayed by some kind of uh, 30 pieces of silver, Joseph was, wasn't the first for the Pharisees to put somebody who kind of draw crowds, wasn't the first that the Pharisees had gathered together with their conspiracy and put to death. It wasn't the first that the soldiers had tortured from the Jew point of view as a religious person. It wasn't the first that Pilate tried in front of the crowd. He tried many other people. Barabbas was one of them. It's a normal occurrence. He wasn't the first to be uh, to proclaim a, a particular stand within his faith that he's a servant of God or he's a, a teacher of God or he's a, a king of the Jew. Many people rise and say a lot of things. We see in the book of Acts that there was a bad Jesus. There were a lot of people who had claimed a lot of things. But you see, what sets Jesus apart this morning is not Easter per se, it's the resurrection. There are two, three, two different things there. We are going to see that the word Easter and the word resurrection do not have anything in relation. But we see number one here, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First of all, we see the enemies of, the, of Christ's resurrection. We see that there were enemies, people who opposed the resurrection, people who, who promoted falsehood. We see here in Matthew chapter 27, Matthew chapter 27, that even critics believe that Jesus could rise, but even the disciples did not believe. That in fact the Pharisees had to come and talk to the, the look at Matthew chapter 27, look at verse number 62. Verse number 62. The Bible says, Now the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said, While he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulchre be made sure until the third day. Do you know that they believe that he will rise? <laughs> 
If you don't believe in your eyes, why are you sealing the tomb? We see that religious sects of the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they make sure to stop the resurrection of Jesus Christ because that would change everything. That would change everything. There was no way they could send out false food. They can try to press the work of Jesus. They can try to manipulate the people. They can try to make his message and pervert the, the, the testimony of Jesus. But if indeed rises, it changes the message. They cannot cover that one. And so we see that the Pharisees sought and uh, received permission to go and seal the tomb. Not just seal it, but watch the tomb. They put watches, watchers on the tomb. We also see in Matthew chapter 28 that when indeed he rose from the dead, this is what they did. Verse number 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city, shew unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. We see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ had a lot of enemies, people who did not want us to know about it. They wanted to seal the tomb. They wanted to, in fact, in Luke verse number 14, and if this come to the governor's ears, we will, pers we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. They were taught to do what? Isn't it interesting that people teach falsehood and they are pr promoters of it? The Jehovah Witness do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. They say, well, he resurrected, but the spirit resurrected. Isn't it true that people teach falsehood and send promoters, publishers, to go and publish it? They were taught what to say. This is where church and state got married. That religious group and the government became one. The Bible says, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Until when? Not that time, until this day. There is still a lot of falsehood. People who are, trying, who are trying to stop the message, who are trying to demean the crucifixion the, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they are the enemies of, the, of Christ's resurrection. Look at verse 28 and 11, of course, the word also and its leadership. Do you know that the book of Acts has the word resurrection more than any part of the Bible? In fact, the, the word resurrection is only found in the New Testament. It's found in 40 verses. In 40, it's used 40 times in 41 verses. Do you know that one of the things that the Roman government persecuted Christians for was not that they preached Christ crucified, was not that they preached Christ burial, was not that they preached Christ suffered, but that they preached Christ resurrection. Do you know that the government, the, the Roman government had sealed the story of Jesus like we see. The Bible says it was commonly reported among the people that Jesus did not rise. That's to say the large group of people did not believe. Because why? There were people who went out to promote falsehood. They were the enemies of the resurrection of Christ. You see, the Roman government never liked to hear about Jesus again. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 2. Acts chapter 4, verse 2. Being, verse number 1, as 
And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captains of the temple, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the, the resurrection from the dead. They had succeeded in sealing the story. They tried to seal the tomb, it did not work. They tried to propagate falsehood, it did not work still. Now they are going ahead to bind those propagating the resurrection. Let me let you know one thing. The world never published. They were never publishers of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were rather the executors of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They did not like the message. The Roman government never liked the message because it would point to them that they did wrong. It would point to them that they were wrong. It would point to their errors. And also it would point to religious group, the Sadducees described that they had done an evil thing. They tried to seal and stop the story. But then the, the apostles never stopped. In Acts chapter 17, verse 18, the Bible says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans, of the Stoics, encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? say? Other some, he seemed to be a setter forth of, a, of strange gods. Because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. You know, one of the greatest and powerful messages that transformed and changed and awakened the world and revived the world wasn't alone that Jesus died because people died on the cross. It wasn't alone that Jesus was buried in the tomb because people were. It was the resurrection of Christ that changed the world, that turned around everyone to focus on Christ and consider that he is who he said he is. You see, all the churches, even the churches one time, during the early churches, the book of Corinthians, here we see in book of Corinthians chapter 15, they were struggling to believe the resurrection. They struggled. Today is quite a common thing that we all believe it. I wish and I pray we all believe it, is it not? We believe Christ raised and rose from the dead. We believe that he was in the, in the tomb three days and three nights and rose triumphantly from the dead and giving us victory and, of course, pointing to us a lasting solution to our salvation and our spiritual life. We believe that. The Bible even says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, according to the scripture. The Bible, Paul kept using the word according to to the scripture, Christ died. According to the scripture, he was buried. According to the scripture, he rose again. You know why? Because if he had rested on people's testimony, they did not believe it. Even the church had, was struggling to believe. Paul had to teach how we plant seed and it would die and germinate and come back to life. Speaking of the resurrection of Christ, Paul went on to defend the resurrection. It was a, it was a hard, in fact, at that time for you to preach resurrection of Christ, you have to be very strong to preach it. Because there were oppositions everywhere, the enemies of the resurrection of Christ. Number two, the extent of Christ's resurrection. The extent, look at 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy had begotten us again. Born again unto a lively hope by not the cross, by not the burial, by 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, it does, the Bible says there, if we are as all men, we are miserable. If our hope is just about just now and things, we are miserable. Oh, I, I come to church because Jesus died. You're miserable. If that is all you, that the gospel you believe. No, I go, I'm a Christian because Jesus was buried. You are miserable. But Paul says, and here says, we are begotten again a lively hope. Again, we are alive, quickened. You see, the extent of Christ's resurrection, it is the power behind the gospel of salvation. Without the resurrection, we are hopeless. We are just like every other person. But you see, the message of the gospel that Jesus died, part of it, that's the truth. And not just Jesus died, Jesus was born by a virgin birth. Jesus lived this world, walked on this earth, did not sin, Fulfill every part of the scripture that concerns him. Finish the work as a person should. Face the cross, suffered on the cross, was crucified, died, was buried, rose again the third day. That is the complete message of the gospel. Living the resurrection, you are just like Buddha, or Buddhists, or Muslims, or Hindus, or Ekanka, or Jehovah Witness. All these religions, you're just like them. But we are not like them today because we have a Christ that rules. We have a faith that is lively, not dead. The message ends up, you see, the message, the good news is this. Jesus died for you. That's a good news. But if he ends there, it's not a good news. Jesus died for me. Well, yeah, it's normal. He died for me. The gospel of salvation, if, not the, if the message ends at the grave, we don't have hope. But if it goes beyond the grave, beyond an empty tomb, beyond a risen Savior, flesh and blood, with all the evidence to show, that is the gospel, the good news. Jesus bore our sins, suffered and died. You see, the extent of Christ's resurrection, it empowers the gospel. It powers the gospel and it empowers our Christian life. Look at Romans chapter 6 verse 4. Romans chapter 6 verse 4. The Bible says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. This is, a, this is a picture of the water baptism we are going to have this morning. If Jesus did not rise without the resurrection, if I was to baptize you this morning, I will put you to death, burial, and leave you there. That's as simple as it is. You will stay under the water. If you come up, you will not be saved. That's to say we are dying like Christ died. What's the hope? But it doesn't stop there. He said, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see, that's the power of the gospel is that Christ died for us, and I believe he died for me when you are baptized into the water by mention, 
Your inside, likeness of his death, likeness of his burial. But if there is no resurrection, think about this. I have to strangle you there. You have to die because likeness of his death, burial, is it not? And if you are doing something, finish it now. In likeness of his death, into the water, burial. You stay there. Someone that they, has, they are buried, you don't get up. You stay there. The hope, the lively hope, the power of our Christian life is to rise newness. Life again of life. Of life. Like Christ rose back to life. You see, that's what pushed Christianity today. The hope and the, the, the someone said the pivot by which Christianity rotates is the resurrection. According to Pastor Nicholas Wayi. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him. He did not stop there. And the power of his resurrection. He says, I want to know that kind of power. I want to experience that kind of Christian life that is of the resurrection of life. John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Bible says, Jesus, of course, we sing the song. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live salvation. Verse number 26. Whosoever liveth Christian life and believeth in me shall never, never die. That's a Christian life. We have a Christian life that never, never die. Pastor Maskey says, never is what? Never. Let me add to that. Never is never, never is ever. <laughs> if you take away the end, we are still okay. It's ever. <laughs> we are ever, ever alive, never dead. You see, because it empowers our Christian life, it sucks and heals our doubt and guarantees subsequent victory. We are not hopeless. We are hopeful, full of hope. The Christian, we are now Christians of possibilities, not impossibility. That's to say, if as Christ rose from the dead, when you talk about Christianity, there is nothing impossible that God cannot do. Now, I'm not saying, it's not that type of people are saying, what God cannot do does not exist. It exists. God cannot lie, cannot sin, cannot fail. God cannot look upon sin. God does not promote, nor bring evil. He allows it, doesn't mean that... Uh, he promotes and uh, ordains such. There needs to be some, <laughs> and there's a debate on Facebook on that. What God cannot do does not exist. It exists. He exists. And the Bible says in first in Second Corinthians chapter five, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse number one. Paul, of course, speaks of our body, our physical body. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, our body, were dissolved. We have a building, that's to say, we have hope. If this body be destroyed, dissolved, burned, like Stephen was, or like Christ was, or like other people were martyred or born or whatever, we have a building, we have hope of a better body. Are you not tired of sin? Me, sometimes I'm tired of it. We will have a body that cannot sin. 
like unto Christ's own body. We have hope of a changed body. With all this, some of us, the scars in our body need some changing. I, I, I know in, when we have our glorified bodies, those scars will not be there. Also, the sickness and things we suffer because of our natural downsetting will not be there. The Bible says in verse number 6, Therefore we are always, always, not sometime, Christianity is an always confident thing. You know why? Because of the resurrection of Christ, we should, we ought to be always confident, knowing that whereas we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, we are confident. I say, you know, Paul is speaking from his heart, an affirmation, a profession of what he believes. I, I say, I say, he's, he's emphasizing the word confident. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Our salvation is a present and absent salvation. The salvation of Buddha is a present one, not in the absence of the body. There's no hope anymore. And this body, like Paul, speaks of a vile body that shall be changed. He that believeth, another thing that it empowers our Christian life is that it saves us completely. Salvation from Jesus Christ is complete. It's not Jesus died for your sin. That's a good thing. Jesus was buried. That's a good thing. But Jesus rose so that you will rise, so that you will never die. That's a complete salvation. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Believe, believing on Jesus Christ, or believing on the one who can save the soul and the body. Not just save the soul alone, the soul and the body. When your spirit is quickened, of course, spirit is quite different. Your soul and your body. It doesn't just save the soul. Number three, the expo of the resurrection of Christ. This is something I want to share with you that I believe. Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. The Bible says in verse 1, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jew, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Now this is one fact I want to share with you, and this is something we can see from this context. Easter is not the resurrection. Let's go into the Bible, let's see it. What do I mean? <laughs> that Easter is not the resurrection. First of all, let's follow this context. 
and the content we see here. First of all, the word Easter means Passover. And Passover has nothing to do with the resurrection of Jesus. Secondly, we see another thing, the, time, the days of unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is not the resurrection. Now, if we follow, if per se it was the resurrection, there was no account in the epistles that the, the Roman government honored or acknowledged the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, they were, the, they were the one who persecuted the church. The Bible says, first of all, he vexed the church. You don't vex a church and honor the resurrection. Secondly, here in the Bible, we see that he had killed James. You don't kill James and leave Jesus. What was James doing? James was a preacher and teacher of Jesus. You cannot kill a supporter and leave the ogre. Again, we see here that, he, that the word Easter appeared only once in the Bible. And that, to me, is a question we should ask ourselves. Why does Easter appear once if it's a resurrection? Why will it appear once? In fact, the word resurrection is used severally after these chapters by Paul. If he was the word Easter, why didn't they use it in other episodes, in other ways? I think the translators of the King James Bible was trying to point us to two things. It's either it was a Jewish Passover or it was a pagan worship day. First of all, we see here it appeared once why resurrection appears 40 times in 41 verses. The content and context is against Christ and his church. It was killing and imprisonment and vexing of the church. The Roman government at that time did not honor Christ. Never. They did not. The last, the word Easter means Pascha, Passover. What is the Passover? The resurrection. Is it the resurrection? We know what is Passover. What is Passover? Let's go back to the book of Exodus, where God instituted Passover. Was it not the killing of the lamb, the eating of the unleavened bread that night, and preparing to leave Egypt? They put the blood on the doorpost as a Passover feast. So many people today use the word Easter. Now, this is one thing. The Universal Church or the Catholic Church or the uh, Thomas Aquinas and all these group of religious forefathers had come to assimilate or uh, 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 put together some religious practices with the church practice. There was no records in the churches or the book of the episodes of the celebration of the resurrection of Christ by the world or marked as an important day by anybody. Either it was a typical Jewish Passover or a pagan Passover. But not the same with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you go around the internet, you will notice that every Christian practice has been hijacked, hacked and hijacked. The purpose of it is demeaned, is belittled. The, the center of, of the pivot, the, the, the bedrock of every Christian practice is removed and the ceremony exalted. Go back to Christmas. The Christmas trees, the stars, all these things, and all these other things are to make you busy, not focus on Christ. They even go as far as Xmas. The same thing with Easter, they start with the bunnies, rabbits, and eggs. There is a goddess known of the goddess of fertility. 
If you read history, you find out that that's what, how it was celebrated. Now, am I saying Easter is wrong? I'm saying you should know the difference. Know the difference. I'd rather use the word resurrection is longer than I use the word Easter. I know we don't like long words. That's why sometimes we cut it short. Even in chatting, people don't use, they just put, sometimes I ask her, what's the meaning of DA? She would tell me, I say, is it I have to go back to school? I thought they taught us how to write completely. They didn't teach us short, short. Well, it's chatting. I'm not used to it. We are getting to a society where we are cutting things short, 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 because they feel like our ink will finish or that our strength to type is too much, so we just make it short. And the same thing with pronunciation, we just go short. And the same thing sometimes, that is the tool the devil uses to demean and belittle the things of God. Today is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I cannot explain how Easter came in. I, if you are saying happy Easter, may it be the resurrection. But if you go to your internet, you will find out it's not. If you read throughout Christian history, if you go into theological study, you find out it's not. There are two different things. But again, we call it Easter. And I hope and pray we do it the way the Bible wants it. Jesus should be celebrated. And let me let you know one thing. When the world starts celebrating Jesus, ask question. They don't do it the way the Bible wants it done. When the world starts accepting Christianity, take note, something is about to happen. Because the world... The system of the world are opposites of God. And that's why the universal church are today backward because they married, they came into communion with the state and the government. And they ruined the practice. They ruined everything they believe. Number four, the examples of the resurrected Christ. Are you an example of the resurrected Christ? After the resurrection of Christ, the world was awakened or awoken to the gospel. The souls of men were quickened or saved, made alive unto God. Those who were dead, those who had listened to Jesus, those who had heard him preach, those who had seen him do great things, what happened is that when he died, was buried, it ended. But when Jesus rose, it more awoken the world. Open the eyes of the world to, to even more see Christ for what he is. And even souls began to get saved. The churches began to grow. The church were revived. The church who at once scattered everyone in his own business. Peter had gone his own business. Thomas had gone his own business. They had forgotten to follow Jesus because why is dead? Why follow a dead man? But when he rose from the dead, it awoken the faith and the church and revived them. They became alive, not dead. Let me ask you, is this church dead or alive? From John chapter 21, till you get to the book of Acts chapter 1, up, up to Acts chapter 3, you see a transit, you see a changing from a people who are afraid and running, from a people who are gathering, changing, becoming more what they should be. Well organized, united, in prayers, in fasting, in service, in worship, in witnessing, in unity, in love. Why? They are Christian character. The Holy Spirit in them began to even more walk in them like it should. 
The resurrection of Christ brought out true Christianity. The true Christian identity came out after the resurrection. When Jesus said to Peter, go and wait for the Holy Spirit, he was saying, time has come. For you as a church, for you as preachers and apostles and witnesses of this resurrection, to begin to show for what it is. The examples of the resurrected Christ. Look at Acts chapter 1 verse 22. Acts chapter 1 verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John, unto that same, that same day that he was taken off from us, must one be ordained to be witness with us of his resurrection. They became more organized. They noticed that they were supposed to be 12. They began to realize and fitting and putting things in order. Whereas before, they had been everybody on his own, scampered, ran away about his own business. Now they now understood what God had gathered them to do and what they should do. Let me ask you a question. As a church, are we an example of the resurrected Christ? Are we dead or alive? Let me even more say it to you. Is there part of you that is dead? Are there some part of you that are, is, is already gone? Maybe four days gone like Lazarus was. Maybe three days, three nights like Jesus was. Maybe in the entire chapter 1 of, of, of Acts and then uh, John chapter 20 till chapter 21. Is there something dead? That Jesus has to come and say, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never. The never is never die. Does Jesus need to tell you? Are you like Martha that say, well, if you had been here, I will not be going, I'll be going so winning. If you were here, I'll, I'll be serving the Lord. If you were here, I, I, I know these things will not be happening to me. You know, I don't do this and all these excuses. Or maybe you can be like Mary that says, well, if you were here, Jesus, I know it's in the resurrection. I know time will come, I'll start going so winning. I know time will come, I'll start reading my Bible. I know in that resurrection we postpone. The examples our faith in Christ should quicken us to do now. Now, not tomorrow. You know, Jesus wasn't someone who did things tomorrow. He did things now. The day is bright. The night cometh when you and I cannot walk. Look around you, look on your mirror. Take your phone, go back to your records, look to your pictures or memories. You notice that you're, you're getting old. <laughs> if you don't do it now, you will not do it tomorrow. In fact, if you look around our society and our, our community, our government, our news, our whatever it is, our churches, if we don't do what we should do now, there will never be space. In fact, I do not believe a government will want us to do it. No system will want us to do it. No, no, 
No policy will inculcate, will, will put Christianity in it, in this present world. None. So if we don't do now, I wonder. Maybe we are like Mary. I know in the resurrection, Lazarus will rise. I know in the resurrection, I'll be happy, I can sing in the choir. Why not sing now? I know in the resurrection, my legs will be okay. Now you have legs, why not use it? I know in the resurrection, when this body is changed, eh, all these things I'm going through that is hindering me, nothing is hindering you. Like Lazarus, Jesus says, lose him. There are things you're tying yourself with. It's not God that puts you in the grave. You're the one that tie yourself great clothes and enter there. And it's time we rise. We awake. We wake up. Not to slumber. Wake up and be an example of a resurrected Christ. Those who have no resurrection, those who have no hope of life, live like they have hope. You that have hope, look like you're hopeless. If a Muslim is happy than, happier than you, go and sit down and ask yourself. What makes him happy? Maybe it's because he's in power or something. Uh, maybe money. But notice, <laughs> if it's something, if, if you notice, an unsaved have unlimited joy. Whether it is money or I don't want to say it's money, money joy. There's nothing like money joy. If joy can bring money, if money can bring joy, if there was joy existing. Money doesn't bring joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Where God's presence is, there is fullness, not halfness, fullness of joy. And if Christ be in you, the hope of glory. Why do you look like you don't have a savior that rose? Like you have a savior that is still in the tomb. Or like every other apostles and disciples weeping near the grave. Oh Jesus. Oh Jesus. Who don't eat in body? Mary was thinking someone stole the body. Oh Jesus. I wish you were here. Come out now so that I go so winning. You don't need Jesus to come out. Go so winning. Oh Jesus. Come out. This is three days. Two nights. I've not prayed. I've been weeping. Stop weeping. The angel said to, to Mary, why weep? The one you're looking for is not inside here. He's out. Go with joy in newness of life. Some of us, we are buried in likeness of his death and burial. We rise in likeness of his death. We don't rise in newness of life. It's as if our going in and our coming out were the same. There's no difference. There's no difference within your Christian life when you were unsaved than now that you're saved. Isn't that a striking point? In fact, you should sit down and trouble and be troubled. When I was saved, when now I'm saved, and when I was not, are there difference? Some of us. When we were buried in likeness of his death and burial, the things we left there, Paul said, yet not I, but Christ lived in me. There is something in me that I 
was risen to do, or I walk in newness of life to do. If Jesus didn't want us to rise, he wouldn't have risen from the dead. He would have just sufficed and satisfied us and put us to death so that we don't live a shameful life. But he knows it's important we rise in new, newness of life and become alive again. For there is something we should be witnesses of his resurrection. If there are no witness, the gospel will not be powerful. I saw, I see, I've seen the Lord. I saw him rise. I saw his hand, his print. I saw everything. What you saw him? I like to believe in this Jesus. That's what gives the message, the gospel, the power. For some of us, we are dipped in the likeness of his death. That's how our salvation is. The likeness of his burial. We stay there. The things we have been buried with, we now go after some week and start digging it. I say no. In likeness of his dead. I don't like this part that should be dead. I don't like this part that is buried with Christ. I don't like this part. I, want, I still want to do my own. Why not do your own when you're dead? A dead man have no... <laughs> you have nothing to do. If you were left dead, you would not be... I'll, I'll do this. You, if you were dead, you would not do anything. But he has given you life, a newness of life, and yet you live like you are dead. There is no resurrected example of Christ in you. And as a church, it seems we are dying. Why? I don't think it's the pillar that is dying. The pillar is still strong. The fans are still fanning. Some of these things are still working. Although some things need changes, the PA system. But some of us are even, have died more than the PA system are dead. In fact, the PA system is more alive than you are. So this morning, I say, or afternoon, rise in newness of life. And let the example of a resurrected Savior be seen in our lives. Not hopeless, but we hope. The power of the resurrection. Let us pray. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, this is Paul writing to the church of Galatia, telling them about some few things that they should not forget. It does look like a church once in a while allows things to creep in. The devil is very uh, tricky, is very, uh, is full with a cloak of malicious practice. He is a very pretentious person, a very deceitful person, and if we are not careful, even a church that Paul, an apostle, started could have this problem. Talk less of the one that you and I, or the one Pastor Maskey started, this one, or the one that others have started. Uh, this is the very apostle that received from Jesus his call face to face received the apostolic signs uh, of doing great wonders. He started this church by God's power and grace. And of course, this same church to struggle. Uh, so that tells us there's no perfect church. <laughs> there's only a perfect savior by, on that 
Christ is foundation that is perfect, a church is built. Jesus said it this way, I'll build my church. It's built on Christ. But once in a while, because we are humans, we come together. Human, we are children of God with this body, this flesh, things creep in. And Paul takes time to write to the church of Galatia. In fact, it's interesting here in chapter 3 what he calls this church. A very, uh, will I use the word, <laughs> uh, harsh word he's using here. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, to the church of Galatia, O foolish Galatians, <laughs> that's, that's not, uh, that's out of order. <laughs> it's like Paul insulting the church. Well, it's by God's inspiration and God calls the church foolish. Who is to say they are not foolish? They are foolish indeed. Because we make unwise decisions, we uh, take things for granted. Paul says, by God's inspiration, O foolish Galatians, that is not all. The next sentence is interesting. Who had bewitched you? <laughs> uh, that sounds like not a church. Mm -mm. This church of Galatia had a lot of issue that Paul would say you're foolish as a church. Not just that, he went on to say that they have been bewitched. That's a very harsh statement. But there are certain reasons to it, and one of those reasons is what the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5, that they have been made free, set free. The Bible says, stand fast, stay strong, unwavered. Stay put. Uh, be vigilant and strong. Therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ had made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. It looks like these people were set free at liberty, but they did not like freedom. They don't like liberty. So what did they do? They entangled themselves back to bondage. Let me ask you this morning, are you entangled again? Are you entangled again? There are a lot of things that can, can entangle us, can take us back to where we were before, can take us back to the person we were, can take us back to the practice we had before when we were unsaved, we will start doing. It's not just the Church of Galatia. We also, once in a while, uh, if care is not taken, we go back. We take a step forward, backward instead of forward in our Christian life. And that's to say that we are going back to what we had left. We are going back to what we were. We are going back to become just like every other person in bondage. I would say it's the yoke of bondage. There were a lot of yoke of bondage, or there were a lot of uh, fetters that religiously the Jews were tied to, that they were not free. Bible mentions in verse 2, circumcision. Uh, one of the key uh, content of this uh, chapter 5 is circumcision. In fact, uh, Paul, again, in the book of Acts, I believe Acts chapter 18, mentioned that there was an issue in the church in Jerusalem concerning the church of Antioch because of all these. So this morning I want to preach a message very simple, freed. Freed. 
you are free. How many of us like to be told that statement? You are free to go. <laughs> For those in the correctional facility, if you go to this prison, like we all know it before, if the day they are to set free, acquitted, probably, or let say what they use, maybe by the kindness of the governor or some kind of superior power that says, I want to free people during these holidays and during these special days, uh, the governor sometimes write out some people off from bondage and prison and from correctional facility and set them free. How would you like to be told by a warder? You've been in prison for years. And the warder comes to you and says, you are free to go. <laughs> you first of all like, laugh like I'm laughing. <laughs> you think it's joke, first of all. I don't understand. I'm free to go just like that. You're free to go. That is not just so much interesting. Until they open the gates and say, start going. Then reality sets in that you're actually free. They say, go, don't worry, go. You're free. You're freed. Go. They have set you free. Go. And that, the joy that comes in the heart of that person, or if you've met such people, you will know that to be freed is very, very vital. But do you know one thing again that is a problem? We like to go back and be entangled again. Because even as our body is free, even as we have been freed, scripturally, according to the Bible, we are saved, we are off from the works of the law, we are no longer uh, to be uh, forced into this yoke of bondage. Paul says, in fact, Peter mentions this in the book of Acts, that which our fathers could not even do. It's so heavy that none of us can do it. We should not be entangled again in this yoke of bondage or this, uh, this slavery or this the law, the, the commandments, the rituals and sacraments that the Jewish observed. These things were something that did not allow them to express God's plan and God's will for them. And when they were let go free, they still go back and say to the law, please tie us back. <laughs> when the man is set free, goes out after one week, he lives a normal life. In fact, he needs a lot of mental and psychotherapies and all these therapies to help him overcome the mind to accept that he's actually free. It's a very difficult thing. He may be freed and he goes out, it's okay, but when, the, when he stays a while, he notices that the, to be bound in fetters, in, in the walls of the prison, he has been used to it that it's not a normal thing for him. He will, not, he will not be able to adjust to freedom anymore. So he will want to go back. In fact, when they are free, they like to visit one another again. The other inmate that is freed will want to visit the other ones. Not because he's miss, he's actually, it's just because he wants to go back to that environment again. And so to us, once in a while, because we have been freed, sometimes we like, we like to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. History cannot forget what we have experienced as a, as a people. In the 1950s of the apartheid period, when the white, the black in South Africa had a different law, 
when the black had a restriction of what they did, and the other color people had another restriction of what they did. There were people who stood and said, no, every, in fact, it is a fundamental law. Every man is born free. But let me ask you again some question. To what extent are we free? Who determines who is free? Who determines who is free? There has been a conflict in the world of freedom, in the world of liberty, in the world of independence, in the world of uh, the fundamental right of human beings. There has been a conflict with different factions, different political ideas, who say to this extent a man is free, to this extent these people are free, to this extent this nation is free, to this extent this tribe is free, to this extent this color is free, to this extent, this tribe is free, but they are not free. We see that it's in our nature to bind one another, not to even let go one another. And that's why we see law, who, laws and implementations of government and policies that bind some group and let some group go scot-free. Some are seen as presidential or federal citizens, some are seen as political citizens, some are seen as whatever, you know, the, the world today has come to a point where one is arrested, he stays there, and in fact, if nobody comes, he's sent to the prison. The other cannot stay any, a night in the prison because of the tribe he's from, because of the color he is, he has, or his, his skin color, because of the background that he has. Everybody is born free. Free. The same thing Jesus gives us for salvation. Freedom. In John 8, verse 32, Jesus says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But no, they don't want truth. They want lies. Why? Because they like to be bound in bondage. Free, uh, truth sets one free from ignorance. The book of John chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus is telling his disciples and uh, the multitude that, Listen, when I set you free, you are not just free, you are free indeed. I make sure I do everything possible that your freedom, your liberty is at its fullest. In fact, full freedom we have in Christ. The time of the segregation period in the US, in the 1950s, some went to restaurants, some could not go to restaurants. Some were, went to school, some were bad and uh, there was, it was a taboo to go to school because of your skin tone or color. Some could not wear good clothes because you can't buy it. You can't go to where they sell it. Companies restricted those who own them, those who became CEOs and those who buy them up. Today there are many uh, black people who own companies. There was a time you can't buy a company because of your skin tone. 
I'm not trying to dig out our past slavery history. I'm trying to let you know that naturally, we are a type of people that like to be bound. We like to bound ourselves. We don't like to be free. We like to put things around someone else or anybody so that they don't go too far, so that we still have that rope on their neck or that rope on their waist or that rope on their leg or that rope in something to pull them backward when they are moving. But Jesus said, if I set you free, you are free. I don't, I don't hold you. I'm not going to be dragging you. Or You are actually free. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye are free indeed. But today, people still bind themselves in the very thing that actually bind or bond our fathers, our mothers. And you see, the church of Galatia struggled. Israel had an issue with the world, the outside world. They have been exposed. They are the ones who were given the, the law. They were the, one who, the ones who God uses. And uh, they saw that as a wonderful privilege. So those who were not given such privileges, they belittle or look down on them. They didn't see them as a human being even. In fact, they saw them as Gentiles and heathen nation. Of course they were, but that's not God's plan for those people. God wanted everybody to be free. Everybody to freely serve. Everybody to freely be saved. Everybody to freely exercise his desire for God. Number one, this morning, the cost of our liberty was Christ. The cost of our liberty was Christ. Look at how Jesus mentioned salvation. It will tell us that indeed there was a problem before then. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor, we like it, and are heavy laden. In fact, they don't even accept that there is heavy load. I know a very a man in Ogoja, uh, for that four years we spent there. When I'm going to the main urban, this sub-urban uh, city called Igoli from Abakpa, uh, Okada. I always see this man with bags, this sack bag. He fills this rock and stones and on, the, on those bags, about four of those bags, he carries it on his bare arms. And walk down, every time you're seeing him, he's carrying it. He has bored that thing so much that it's part of him. If he doesn't carry it, there's, I know he's not, his mind is he's insane, he's not sound in his mind, but however, that man is used to it. That's how we are sometimes. We like to be in deep, heavy laden. We like it, it's our nature to show we are strong, to show that ah, we can do something. You know, that concerning to salvation, many people believe today that by keeping the law, they will go to heaven. I don't know where they came with that. Maybe they don't read the Bible in an open-minded way or they don't have a good teaching. I suppose it's false teaching. That's all. False teachers who come with cloak of malicious teachings, evil teachings, pretense, deceiving the people, bewitching them, enticing them, with this false teaching that by your works, you will go to heaven. You know why they are telling them to do works? So that while they are telling them to do works, they can have courts on them to also control them not to be free. To bind them in fear, to bind them in a very 
terrible state of no satisfaction. They keep coming. They will always be subject to the boss, to the GO, to the pastor. Because if you let him, if you, if you preach salvation is by grace, the people are now free from your whatever practice you may bring to tie them anymore. Romans chapter 28 verse 11, come unto me, all you that labor and heaven legend, and I will give you rest. We say, no, <laughs> rest is equivalent of uh, free. You're free to sleep. How can I go to heaven? You don't need to do anything. You're free to go to heaven. Is that all? Yes, you're free. Is it just belief? Yes, it's just belief. Whosoever believeth should not perish. That's what the scriptures say. They say, no, how can it just be belief? They want to be bound again. They are not free. We are used to being those who carry heavy laden burdens, and so we think going to heaven is carrying those burdens or trying to keep the law, trying to live a perfect life which you and you me know truly. You can't, and you will never in that flesh. But what are they doing? They are binding the same fetters which our forefathers could not do. They are putting it on you. So that why? Some people will also be able to manipulate you too. When you are not free, you will be manipulated. The Bible says, Whose therefore the Son shall make free is free indeed. You see, the cost of our liberty was Christ. Christ's sacrifice purchased our freedom from the cost of sin. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 tells us the cost of sin. What is the cost of sin? The curse of sin. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. What's the curse of the law? The curse of the law is this. If you cannot do all of them, you're cursed. To continue in all things, not to do some things. I can do some things to go to heaven, then you're cursed. You have to do everything. And we know that indeed, we, we cannot uh, do everything. In verse 13, the Bible says, Christ had redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made cursed for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ's sacrifice purchased our freedom from the curse of the law, from again the curse of sin, and again from the condemnation of sin. The Bible says in Ezekiel 18, verse 20, the soul that sinned, that's a curse, a curse. The soul that sinned shall die, is a curse. No matter whose kind of man of God, no matter how close he is to the Messiah, to the highest, to the almighty God, to Jehovah, to Elohim, to Adonai, to whatever name they want to call, you are cursed because of sin. That curse cannot be removed by anything but Christ's sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Not by your works. Your works cannot omit that curse. The only thing that clears us from us from that condemnation of sin is the blood of Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. 
Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin, for the curse of sin is death. It's not my portion. Are you a sinner? Yes, you're cursed. You say, ah, to fear, I shall not, it's not my portion to die. I know I'm not saying that people will die. Me, I don't want to die. I'm vi- I envision a lot of years of my life. I want to have a very successful, long life. But however, let's not forget what we are. We are cursed. Death is inevitable. Death is our portion, for we are sinners. Jesus, God told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. He was not joking. He's not saying, oh, now I'm a, uh, no, now you cannot, Jesus is telling you, you cannot die. Even Jesus had to die because of the sin he took for us. How much more you, a sinner? The cost, the cost of our liberty was Christ. Christ was, a, Christ acquitted all whom have placed their faith on him. We are guilty. Romans chapter 3 gives us some line trying to teach us according to the view of the law. Verse 19. Now we know that whatsoever thing the law saith is said to them we are under the law. We are all under the law. That all the world may become, that, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world will become guilty before God. By the law, we know we are guilty. By the law, we have no plea. We have no nothing to say. Our mouth is stopped. No excuse. The law is indeed pointing to us that we cannot be saved. Verse 20, therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And Jesus Christ is the one that gave himself. Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Romans chapter 8, verse 33. The Bible says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who will lay anything to the charge? Is who is going to fight file charges against anybody that Jesus saves? Who is going to file charges? You know, for you to be able to take things to the court and be tried and through the process, you need to file charges. You need to go there and say, this is what the person did, timed and whatever, whatever, vivid fact. You cannot file charges on who, whom Christ redeems. You know why? Verse 34, who is it that condemneth? You can't even condemn whoever Christ saves. It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Christ is our advocate, our defender, our attorney. He is the one that speaks for us. In fact, he speaks for us. He spoke for us from the beginning. He still speaks for us today and will continue to speak for us. His blood speaks for us. His, the sacrifice on the cross of Calvary causes us to be free, to be justified, declared innocent. In, in the legal system, there's what is called backdating. Backdating. You can backdate a document, although it's 
to some extent, it's a crime sometimes, depending on the the the, the purpose or the the content of the document. You can backdate a document. I can say to Alex, we have agreed that I'll give him five naira. We agreed last week, but we did not put anything into formal document. So when we want to get into a formal document, I don't put the date of that day. I put the date when we agreed verbally. So I can actually backdate the document to that date. So that is allowed, it's legal. When Christ died on the cross, he put his blood, he backdated to all those who had died. His blood could pacify the wrath of God and pay for their sins. He all, that, another thing is that you can also put the date forward. It's just a simple English statement. For you to put something forward, you say, as for, backward. For you to put it forward, you say, now for them, now for them, now for them, Christ has died. Now for them, Christ has died. As for, Christ has died. Christ is seated on the right hand of the Father. His blood still speaks for our salvation. And no one can condemn you. You are free indeed. Free when you trust on Jesus Christ, you are free. Free from the curse of the law, from the curse of sin, from the condemnation of the law. You are free like a bird is free. But sometimes we don't like to be freed. <laughs> the book of Galatians says they went back and entangled themselves with the teachings of circumcision. The teachings of all these, um, uh, uh, the law of Moses and things that they should do. They were Gentiles. The Galatians were Gentiles, and they were subjecting them to do it. You are not free. You cannot be free. You, are, you cannot be saved until you circumcise. And uh, you do these things that Moses said you should do. And the Bible says they are free. Number two, the concept of biblical freedom. The concept of biblical freedom. Look at Psalms 51 verse 12. Psalms 51 verse 12. This is... David praying, 51 verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. That's not all. And uphold me with thy free. I want you to notice the word he uses for God's spirit. Thy free spirit. Because Romans chapter 8 verse 2. Romans chapter 8 verse 2. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. The Bible says, For the law of the Spirit of Christ, of the, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, had made me free from the law of sin and death. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is that Spirit... Now we see the conclusion. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. So that's to say that when Jesus met the woman at the well, there were some imbondaging practices, enslaving practices, 
that the Jews observe and the Samarians observe, and this one said this one did not observe it, and this one did not observe it, so they are not God's people. This one looked down on this other person, this one esteemed himself as religious and close to God. And Jesus shows up to break the middle partition and say to the woman, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in church. In traditions, in practices, good practices. Not you know, religiosity doesn't say it's wrong. It's just that we we exalt this ritual and sacrament and these Jewish practices as though if one doesn't do it, he's less a human or less, and he cannot find God. And Jesus said, "I'm not here to talk about a Jew, a Greek, a Gentile, an Igbo, an Hausa, a Calabari, whatever color. I'm here that God is a spirit." And those that worship him is worshiping in spirit and in truth. God sets the criteria on our present worship. Our present service, our present Christianity is based on his spirit, free spirit, liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The spirit of God works freely in all saved. If you are saved, God works freely in you. It's not limited by me or anyone. It's not limited by color or size. It's not even limited by your age. It's not limited by anything. God uses everybody that is saved freely. The Holy Spirit impacts spiritual gifts in everybody freely, severally as he will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 11 God uses men, consecrate us for service freely. He doesn't come to ask, can I use this man? Can I use this man? Come, should I use this boy? Should I use this lady? Should I use this man? Jesus doesn't come, doesn't come to us for counsel and advice. He's wise, he's perfect, he's, he's, he's full of wisdom. He uses whoever he wants, calls anyone he wants, anytime. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Let me ask you, how free are you? How free is your Christian life? How free is your Christian work? How free is your devotion to God? How free is your practice as a Christian? Are you in bondage? Are you entangled again? For what Christ has made you free indeed, you go back and in bondage yourself again, you are free. You are free. Go. You are free. And free. Go. Jesus turns to the woman who was caught in adultery. He said, go and sin no more. He never said, wait. Come and confess your sin. Stay here after two weeks. We check if you're really changed. Stay here after six weeks. We check if you still visit that man or the man knows you. Stay here. Jesus said, go. Because why? Jesus has sacrificed himself to make sure we freely serve him. And of course, the concept of a biblical freedom is where the spirit is. There is liberty. There is freedom. How free are you in serving God? See, don't, in fact, look at Galatians chapter 5. 
Galatians chapter 5. I'll beg to buy some of your time. It's supposed to be concluded since. But please, endure small. We'll conclude now. Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse number 7. Ye did wrong well. <laughs> Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Do you know what was happening? The Galatian Christians freely were serving God, freely were doing what they should do for God, but some group of people came and said, you are not free, you are not saved yet. You have to be circumcised. And Paul is telling them, who did hinder you from running? It's a free race. I'm not talking about race for salvation. I mean Christian life race. It's a free practice as a Christian. Serve the Lord freely. Nobody should stop you. Although there should be an understanding, there should be biblical fact and truth on how we serve God in spirit and in truth. But it should not be tied around if I'm in church, you're not in church. I think you're still in bondage. If I don't go so many, you don't go so many. I think you're still in bondage. I think you're not yet free. It did not, Paul is telling them, who did hinder you? Who is, stop, who? who is the person stopping you from serving God in the fullness, in the, in the amount that you know is due him? Who is stopping you? Who is stopping you from praising the Lord the way you should? Who is stopping you from serving the Lord the way you should? Who? Who did hinder you? It's funny that that day in heaven, some of us will say, who? I wanted to go so many instead they know will come. <laughs> instead people know plenty. <laughs> I wanted to go and, and pray, but instead they come, say, I have to pray. Who stops you from what you do for the Lord? The mark of liberty. There is a mark of liberty we see in Galatians chapter 5. Fruit bearing is the mark of liberty. Now listen, the biblical concept of liberty or freedom is that God wants us to be free to do the right thing. To be free to serve him. To be free to do the right thing. You're not free. I'm not, you don't think I say free. Do anyhow. That's not what I'm saying. There's no do anyhow in the world. It's anarchy. I mean, freely you can serve God without anything put in between. You can go to God, the Bible says, come boldly before the throne of grace. There is no in-between in our prayer life, in our prayer practices. The Bible says, our father, he did not say, uh, our father means your pastor or one kind of man of God. That before you, you I, I, we went somewhere this week. They kept describing that somebody mentioned they need a powerful man of God. And then as we are leaving, I talked to one of our brothers and said, when we, are we going to say, we need a powerful God? Not a powerful man of God. Who is a man of God? A flesh and blood. That is how the devil has in bondage us the second time. Because why? We are looking for a powerful man of God. And if you are not careful, your pocket will finish. Because what you are looking for, you will never see it. It's an illusion in your mind. You need a powerful God. And God says to you, Come boldly. He did not say go and meet anybody and consult. And should I go? And when do I go? And what should I bring? He said, come boldly to the throne of grace. But we like to go back to Mary and Martha's system. 
Go to Mary and pray for some. Go to the man of God and pray. Man of God, God's servants have some amount of advantage. I agree. There's an amount of uh, privileges they have. Uh, there's an amount of uh, God's uh, power that they have. But that's not how God wants us to serve him. He wants us to be free indeed. Indeed, in every deed of practice, be free. Pastor, should I give this person money? Is he a genuine thing? Don't ask me. Don't ask me. They that worship God must worship God in spirit and in truth. Don't come and ask me who is good to give money. Go and give anybody. If you like, throw it. Give mad, mad people. If God leads you, do it. If it's truth, do it. Don't wait until I give you hands up. I vote. Nay. Yeah. That's the political system that we also use in our Christian practices. Everybody has freedom. Think about this. When God called Josiah to be king, what do you think Israel were, were, were thinking? An eight, eight, eight years old boy. God uses eight years old boy. God uses donkeys. God uses the wind. God uses the fan. Everything he has liberty to use. We don't look on age. You know why we bondage ourselves with that same cultural, traditional system? No, no, don't give him until he's 30. Oh, yeah, they wait, you know? I would say, when he's in your power, we told not good when he's in your power, too. Should I, should I help him? No, he's not faithful. If I help him, he will not be faithful. You see, you're even worse than the devil. That's how the devil is crafty. So if you help someone, you'll not be faithful to church. <laughs> So if you give somebody money, if people drive cars, they will not come to church. Are you okay? <laughs> we are free to serve the Lord. We are free. Jesus said, go on free. You are free. Rich people serve the Lord. Poor people serve the Lord. Educated people serve the Lord. You are free. It must not be on any basis. Irrespective of age, color, or background, or wealth, standard, or, or tribe, God says, you have freedom. In fact, don't tell me to change fan. That's how far they went. You can sit down here and say, I'll change this fan. You see, all right, God speaks to your heart and say, change the fan. You don't even need to come and inform. It's a good thing. Whatsoever thing is good. Whatsoever thing is of good report. Whatsoever thing that is, of, is honest. The Bible didn't put us on to, uh, they don't ask Paul, should I buy a chair in the church? Should I buy a bus in the church? Should I help someone? They don't ask Paul those questions. Because when you ask man those questions, there will be things that will bondage it. Because man's system doesn't let people free. He binds people the more. You know why? The system of man's leadership is a bossy type, not a servant type. We don't see each other as servant. We see one as boss and the other servant. Whereas to Jesus, all to him are servants. He is the only boss and head of the church. We are all privileged to serve. One falls down and dies, God replaces. That's God's house. With no apologies. Shift him. When Ananias and Sephora fall down and died, they were not weeping and, eh, and the church scattered. They sent them apart. The Bible says they increased the more. God's work is not indispensable by whoever serves. 
Every one of us are vessels, and we have the privileges to be used by God. Nobody should hinder you from running. To be able to win that crown God has set before us, nobody. Nobody should say, no, you don't do that. Unless you're doing something out of order. The church should be a place of decency and order. There are some facts. God must worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. If it's biblical, if it's in the scripture, if you see a verse on it, and if God lives in your heart, go ahead, my sister and brother, and do it. There's one man we are going to answer to. It's not me. I will also answer to him. You will answer to him. It's Christ. The judge of the quick and the dead. We are going to answer to the Lord, the head, the supreme head of the church. Every one of us will stand in the line of servants and laborers. Maybe one will go before the other person, but we are all servants. Servant number one, reporting, sir. Servant number two, no one will say, in fact, in heaven, they will not say pastor number one, pastor number two. <laughs> they don't even say that. In fact, you notice the concept of Paul's writing, that Paul was so much a man who, we need to study the life of Paul. He never once wrote about himself as an apostle in the same text, while he writes of the same person as a laborer. He uses the word co-laborer, fellow yoke fellow. Your fellow, because he's trying to understand that I am serving in this capacity, he's also serving in that capacity. We are all servants of God. So, who hinders you from running? Is there something in your heart you want to do? You're waiting for a business meeting to do it. <laughs> well, church business meeting is an official meeting. But you see, it's high time we shift the activities of business meeting from buying a fan to actually being a business meeting. Buying a farm is not what a business meeting should be all about. Why can't we buy a farm without having a meeting? Why can't you take your money and buy the farm and fix it? There's an electrician. Is it that there's a way we have to fix it when it's done as a business meeting? You put the farm. And you say, okay, you have to put the farm on Friday. You have to raise it up 10 feet. And he has to be a fair electrician. He has to be an e-boat electrician. We don't trust outside electricians. Is that what you're looking for? To so in bondage us the second time. You are free. I've been part of a church when the pastor stepped out one day. Somebody came out and wanted to flood the church. He sent the, 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 the man who wants to do it. He looked at it. The man and said, I can't tell you the person's name. Tell us when do we come. What type of time. Simple. They started doing it. They did not have a meeting to do it. One day a man came, packed all the old fans, put a new fan. They did not have business meeting for it. It's an immature attitude that we have to cover or find counsel for God to use you to do something. You have to ask somebody again. Why not ask God? If we continue, like, we remain like this. You're waiting for someone to tell you. I'm talking about a medical being. About somebody who needs a medical assistant. Even more than one now. Nobody is responding like they should respond. You know why? Maybe my skin color. <laughs> or maybe the way I say it. Or maybe you want me to now call you on the phone again and say, please, we have this need. I won't call you. Anything I say here is done and dusted. I don't say it there again. If you can't respond as it is generally for everybody, then let's leave it. If God is not working out, let's leave it then. If we are not moved by God, 
even if man move you, God will not accept what you do. It must be acceptable according to the spirit of God and the truth. And Jesus said, you are free. Are you free? How free are you? How free are you? <laughs> Some of us are saved, but we are still in bondage, entangled again. Should I do this? Should I move like this? What if I this in fact? Is that what Christ made us or saved us to do? To be entangled again? To be born in bondage? Israel was free at the, at the land of Cana. They were arrived in the land of Cana. Everything was fine for, for almost 40 years. God has led them, provided for them, protected them, gave them good health. They had no sickness issue. Kept them from the enemies. In fact, gave them great victories. They arrived at the promised land. The first thing that came to the mind of the people is to go back to the Egyptian system of leadership and say to Samuel, give us a king. And God turns out and says, I don't understand. Who was leading you 40 years? And I don't. You know why? They have not so much seen God as a leading God. They saw God as an occasional. They saw God as, will I say, a label that you add to something, a trademark. Why they saw the human being as the true leaders. They say, make us kings as the Canaanites. And Samuel began to tell them what will happen. You see, this thing that you're saying, what happened in, the, in Egypt, where they bind you, you were serving in rigor and in severe hunger and death, is what will happen. It will take your wives, it will take your farmland, it will take your horses, you will labor every day. That's what you're looking for, and I'll give it to you. That's what we like. We don't like God to rule us. We like man to rule. And God says, I'm not here for man to rule. I'm here. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must not worship him in Jerusalem, in the Mount of Samaria, in the hills of whatever hills it is, in the Mount of Sinai, in the Ark of the Covenant, in the, uh, in the practices of the rituals in the temple. And no, don't worship him that way. Worship him in spirit. And in truth, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is free flow of liberty. People can get and reach and expand to their potential, not be shaded and resisted and pressed to stay in a small space. God wants to use everybody. Everybody. The conflict of freedom is that we always want to go back. Every saved has right to serve his Lord. Every servant must be honored, irrespective of color, size, race, age, background. Everybody must be accorded, must be free. Our, our Christian life is now openly directed, open to the Lord. You don't need rituals anymore to go to Jesus. Just kneel where you are and say, Lord Jesus. You don't need to bring a lamb, a goat, a pigeon, a turtle dove. It's free. The, 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 the veil is torn open to tell Israel that, see, you used to go alone. Now everybody can enter. It's a free-flowing God. Everybody has access to him. Many people are looking. You know, the devil knows how to, he's a great, 
deceiver. We like to put man in everything we do. People come back from church today, most of the churches today, they will begin to say, ah, that man of God, ah, that man of God, that man of God. They have issue. I'm not saying the pastors, men of God, servants of God should not be honored. The Bible says even double honor. Should not be respected. I'm not saying that. But we should not practice Christianity like they did with the Jewish people, where they had to bring something and a, a high priest had to go to, the, 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 to, the, to God and sacrifice. No, now we go directly. We don't need an high priest. We are now priests and kings even. We are now the same position. But we are not of the same function. Our functions are different. God says, come to my throne. Come. He that is a, is a test. Come. Come. He said, no, before you go, this is what you will do. You carry coconut water. You carry this thing. You carry that. That's because you're in bondage now. Some of us are still patronizing these people. They are making money. They are making money off you that is struggling and you don't have much. And you're still giving them the more. Because why? You're looking for a powerful man of God and forget that you have a powerful God already that says, come to me. If you cannot find God. In fact, God doesn't want you to ask about him from somebody per se. He wants him to seek me. Seek me. Look for me. I'll come. Oh, you see me. The woman who was coming down from Samaria saw Jesus on, the, on Jacob's well. Jesus was there because Jesus knew this man is going to. It's time for this woman to receive me. It's time for this man to seek me. God will be found if you look for him. But if you're looking for Jesus around the corner, following a long cut, following the other way around, what he said, I'm here. Where are, you, where are you looking? I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. What do you want? Tell me. No, I want to go and tell. I want to go and do this. And cutting corners. For some, even for your sins, you go and pray to a priest. Pray to a reverend father. Where the Bible says it's Christ that is the mediator. In fact, an advocate for us. To speak for us. To defend us. Are you free? Are you free? How free are you? To what extent is your freedom? You are free to do the right thing. Free. Is it a good thing? Do it. Is God leading you? Do it. Is it truth? Do it. You don't need approval from me per se. Unless it's my room, my house. You have to knock so that I allow you to enter. But is it is it the church? Everybody have the same access to the church like I do, like you do. The access I have is the same access you have. Somebody said it this way. Freedom is not freedom when people cannot ask questions. Do you ask questions? Did Jesus answer questions? Do you know the people that did not allow for questions? Do you know the group of people? Do you ask questions? Do you... We, we have... Somebody, a lecturer said it's, best, it's better for him to allow for a question that he cannot answer than to teach a no question. It's better you ask him a question and he doesn't know the answer than he teaches or he does everything he's doing in the classroom. Nobody asks his question. There's a trouble. There's a problem. 
you are free. Don't be entangling yourself with your forefathers, entangling yourself with your foremothers, entangling yourself with your village traditions and all these things. You are free. You are free. You don't need to, I'm afraid of, you don't need to be afraid and you are free. The Spirit of God gives boldness instead of fear. It's bondage that brings fear. In fact, there was a time when there was a slave master who had many slaves. They are born to him, children, 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 about four generations. When they were all old, grown ups with their great grandchildren, he said, oh, You can now go. They said they will not go again. You know why they are used to they, this is now our lifestyle. How can we how can we be free now? We don't want to be free. We are master. 